Can we call oh. him Wheezy this episode? <laughs> Wheezy. Wheezy. <laughs> Wheezy. Uncle Wheezy. RC Heli Nation version 3.0. I'm Nick. Yes, that's right. Dan is, uh, well, he, he's, he's kind of with us. He's, he's taking a different form. Has a little bit of a different uh, nickname this week. Uh, and uh, who else is with us this week? Lads, oh, you with us? You say he's with us in a spiritual way. Yeah, he's, he's still here. He's, <laughs> he's, he's with us in spirit. Here <laughs> in Wheezy Spirits. Yes. Wheezy Spirits? Aha. All right, I think I heard Scott and uh, that sounds like Rob and maybe a little bit of Devin with us this week. Yeah, yes. a little bit. We have a full boat, but we have a qu- somebody is in quarantine right now. So I'm here. <coughs> hey, I'm here. You are here. Goodbye. Uh, Damn, that sounded good. Dan is uh, Dan's rallying hard <laughs> to join us this week. So he's uh, he, he's here just kind of in the in the background this week. Yeah. Having a little bit of a hard time getting through a sentence without coughing. But uh, the rest of us are here. Uh, how about uh, we jump into you know some stuff we've been doing? Who wants to go first this week? Devin does. Oh, oh damn! damn. Right. Wow, Devin, oh, throw me Devin. on the spot like that. Oh, gotta be ready. So, yeah, no, no, I am very ready. We got the the gasser nitro. Well, the ga- the the nitro oxy gasser conversion that's flying. My, we rebuilt the carb, got that flying. The oxy two is done. And that's flying as well. Yeah, it, it's a good little heli. I love that thing. It's great for the front yard. Yeah, she hums, right? Did you get a video? Oh, yeah. Did you make a video of that? You said you were going to do that. I can do that. I will do oh. that. When it's not snowing, I will. Uh, but uh, speaking of that, can you expand on it's flying? Can you give a little more well, than that, maybe? Okay. It it The blades do the turny thing. And then when you add the pitchy thing, it goes up in the air. But it all stays together still. So well, true. yeah, actually, no, it's really, I'm really surprised by how stable that heli actually is when you're flying. It sits there. It just for, sits. For a little heli? Yeah, dude, it just yeah. parks. Yeah. It's uh, the carbon fiber blades that come with it. The Lynx blades actually feel pretty pretty good. I like them. The servos are feeling good. The KSDs that I got. The nice. Even everything. It's just a very solid heli. I really do enjoy it. The wiring. I got to send, I got to send you guys a picture. But the wiring's pretty mint, Nick. You're gonna love it, mostly because I didn't do it. That's the <laughs> I, don't that. I think this I is one of those. You. If you squint, it's mint moments. <laughs> wow! Wow, yeah, man. Dude, I'd you. like to see it because the wiring on mine's not very good. It's like mediumly good, and I'd like to see. What, I haven't really took a look at what other people are doing because it's an old heli. But yeah, you got one for sure. I will send some pictures of the wiring, so that's good. My dad was super excited, so he, my dad actually went out flying and without me again. Bah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's because that's because you're only medium good in his eyes. I'm, I'm just barely good. Not even medium. I'm mediocre. 
Oh, you know? ouch. Don't be so hard on yourself. Mediocre. So he went and got some more flights on the gasser. He was happy with that. I got the transmission taken out of my truck because Ooh. last Tuesday, I may have blown up the transmission in my car. Poopy, so, dude. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I blew it up on last Tuesday, got it towed to my dad's shop where he works because they were gracious enough, enough to give me a spot in the corner where I could keep it. And then Friday after work, I went down there and got the transmission completely out of it. And then today I brought it home after work. So the transmission's out. Now I need to go do the handy dandy computer thingy majiggy and search up parts so I can fix it. Hmm. That's going to be fun and dude, expensive. That's a struggle, dude. Out. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's that's the hard one right now. Yeah. That, so that are you doing it yourself or what? My, so, yeah, my dad, when he, um, before he does what he did now, he was an auto mechanic. He owned his own shop. Yeah, that's so, right. You were saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, I really want to rebuild it ourselves. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Dude, that's, yeah. I give you guys props for that. That's, that's some pretty heavy shit. Yeah. You're so you learned, you learned a valuable life lesson that you never mess with trannies in the front yard, only mess with a tranny in the backyard. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Behind, closed heard that one. behind closed doors behind closed doors it was freaking great because i was sitting on the side of the road like right and i kind of pulled into like this driveway so the tow truck could get in and pick me up and we can get out because i knew it had room i can't tell you the amount of people that stopped just to curse at me for being there <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> yeah. uh, new jersey Oh, it right. was. <laughs> Get out of they here! They would, yeah. They would stop in the middle of the road on the highway that we live on. It was on the side of the highway. They would stop in the highway, look at me. You're a moron. What are you doing parking there? And I was like, "Here's my keys. You try to move it. If you can, I give you props." <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah, it was. It was pretty funny. The one person started blaring their horn at me, and I'm like, "There's two exits, my guy. I'm just in one of them. Like, go to the other one." You know, brain things don't exactly work. Lame. So that was part of my fun week last week at eight o'clock after school on a Tuesday, finding a tow truck and bringing yeah. my truck home. So now oh. I get that. Now I get to have the fun of paying for and to get the parts for a new transmission, which I figured out is going to hurt a little bit. It puts right, a big damper on the, the heli. <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, yeah. I did. Yeah, you got it cheap, so. Are there, I did. Are there, are there any moving vehicles you're not bad for? So, like, so far we know you're bad for trailers, trucks, cars, Ellie's. Uh, well, I'm not allowed to drive my mom's car, so does that count? Yeah, probably. That, that is a signal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and my mom's not allowed to drive my cars, so I guess deal is uh, mutual. Because the last time, and I, this is not like even like this is dead serious. She drove or my 2500 that I have, and. She was sitting behind like a car or something like that and goes, oh, wow, I smell diesel. I wonder if I should pull over. No, just keep driving. You smell diesel. Just keep driving. It's fine. It's fine. All right. She oh, keeps no. driving. She keeps driving down the road and the truck just dies. Right. What the, the, the truck dies, tries to crank it until the batteries are dead. Cool. Uh, she blew up an injector line and had no clue, apparently. Oh, no. Even though, even though when you blow up an injector line, fuel literally, literally sprays everywhere how is so, she supposed to know you're not being I, fair what 
She's not yeah, a car man. person. It's not her responsibility. As far as she knows, this shit just died. You gave your mother a faulty vehicle. Mm. I didn't give her a faulty vehicle. <laughs> Fair point. I would never it put my mother in a shitbox like that. It worked before <laughs> I gave it to her. All right. It, all right. It worked before I gave it to her. Anything Next else, uh, Devin? Um, nah, I don't think I want to dig my hole deeper. I'm good now. Yeah. Yeah, right on. What about you, Rob? Scott? Who's next? I think Scott should go next. I think Scott. Oh, fine. Um, fine. Fine. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm i going to have to take yet another no-fly. Fuck off. No-fly. Oh, I'm collecting the shit out of those, but it's okay. Um, what did I actually do? I don't think I did you a You came second lot. place. Yeah, you got I your taken with your award. I did. I started playing with uh, with RC cars as we talked about a little bit. A little bit of a cold winter hobby. Um, Dude, those don't fly. No, well, <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> you hit the wall hard. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun. It really is a lot of fun. It's a nice little change of pace. It's all indoors, so it's relaxing. And uh, they're super complicated. They are way more complicated than helicopters. I had no idea. Like, you get your normal, you know, your toe, your camber, um, and your caster on your wheel uh, adjustments, stuff like that. But yep. it goes into, like, really crazy adjustments, like roll center adjustment and stuff, and things that I don't even fully understand. I, I learned about Ackerman and steering. What is that? I don't know. Like, it's, it's really complicated with, with what they do. Like, like, Ackerman is, like, when you turn left, the left wheel turns a little bit more at max turn, and you can adjust yeah. the degrees. And, like, you're adjusting to, like, point of a, a degree with your little adjustments on those cars. It's yep. wild. Like, I thought fly barless systems are complicated. They're a cakewalk. Well, and Holy with shit. cars, it's all, like, um, it's all mechanical, right? So it's this, 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 like, analog interaction you have to have with your machine. So, I mean, I understand. I understand the draw, for sure. Yeah, we just gotta that, give you like, shit because this is a helicopter podcast, damn it. Oh, totally. Like, I, I'm gonna fly next week, probably. But, um... It's like bringing me back to fly bar days kind of thing because you had to do so many yeah. adjustments and things to the linkages and stuff and it actually mattered to make it right. fly good. I feel like I'm right back at that again. So it's it's kind of fun. That's cool. I know, like I know nobody cares, lens. but yeah. No, dude, that makes sense. So you get like that extra CNC part or one, the ones with the extra adjustment. You're like, yeah, all right. I got because I remember in the fly bar days where uh, on my 550 there, uh, they came out with these CNC, um, the, the fly bar the sway bar, the fly bar link uh, uh, arms, they came out with some CNC ones that had three adjustments instead of two. And everybody was like, Oh shit. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. in the mechanical world it, for cars and stuff, you know, there's a, a lot of that too. So yeah, I get it. Yeah. It's good fun. Um, other than that, I mean, it, I really, I've looked at a helicopter. I looked at the tail blades I need to put on my, my SAB raw. Uh, they've been broken since the last event at RCHO. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping next weekend I, I do some flying. I really need to. But it's been cold, and I'm being a little bitch. I'm not ashamed. Yeah, I'll take no it. shame. <laughs> I hate the cold, too. Yeah. But that's all I got. Rob, what do you got? What do I have? Um, yeah. I have some stuff. I have some helicopter-related stuff. So good, I'll solid. Help. Yes, yes, very good, solid. I got a little car stuff, too, I'll save for later. But um, So... Um, just another week of simming and flying. I'm trying to narrow down that disconnect between like my skill level on the sim and my skill level in real life. And I feel like I, I hit, I kind of a little bit, a bit of a breakthrough, like 
I, I was thinking about it the other day. I was in the middle of flying my sim and I was like, it was just, everything was clicking. It was feeling really good. And then I just stopped for a minute and I got to thinking, I was like, you know what? I'm realizing now that I have all of my helicopters set up way more agile than I have my sim set up. Right. Uh, so, um, I guess I think I drew some of that back into this hobby from, uh, like the drone hobby. Right. Cause when you set up rates in your drone and stuff, you set it up like super fast for max rates, like 1200 degrees a second and some crazy shit. You would never be able to do that with a helicopter without breaking it. You know what I mean? Um, so for some reason, I think I just subconsciously erred on the side of that kind of agility. Like I just assumed that I needed to have the cyclic turn way up and stuff. And so I dialed all of my helicopters back a little bit and dude, I tell you what, it's like night and day, you know, um, the cyclic, my average, I, I, it's somewhere around like one revolution a second, just over one revolution a second, right? Is kind of where I'm settling in as far as like pitch and roll and stuff. And then uh, I set my rudder to like one and a half to two turns a second or something like that. And I'm just settling in that because that's pretty close to what I have it on the stem. And I took all my helis out and well, I took the 500 and the 600 out. Oh, and the um, Oxy 2 out as well. But I flew them all and it just felt so much more comfortable on the sticks and stuff. So, uh, I'm really digging that, you know? Um, so yeah, I got probably like 10 packs in amongst all my helis. Oh, you know what? Actually, let me think about that. I got like 10 packs in like yesterday. So I've, I've had probably like 50 packs this week over the whole week. Right. Um, nice. uh, I did some, yeah, dude, I did some tuning, some more tuning on my, the T-Rex 500. Now that I got that, uh, hobby wing 80 amp in there, um, Dan, the thing is flying great. It's smooth as silk in the air, except I had some pretty noisy bearings. There's some, some of the bearings are old, you know, and, uh, one was howling really bad and one of the main staff bearings. So I pulled that out of there and, uh, I, the, uh, Gowie X5 takes an eight millimeter shaft also. So uh, the bearing is the same size and I had a pack of them from that bird. So I bogarted one out of there for the bearing block and it's, better you know what i mean there's uh, a couple of other bearings i'm gonna end up replacing in the thing but yeah dude i got that thing in the air and it's 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 sitting pretty man so that's that's another one in my repertoire and it's 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 just small enough where i feel comfortable flying it in my backyard like low and like doing things like going inverted and some other stuff but um if i if i want to fly it hard in my yard I'll, I'll fly it up out into that back lot that i've got but um it's been kind of nice the last few days so i've been able to take them away from the house out to that that cul-de-sac i was telling you guys about so yeah dude lots of good uh good uh just flying and sim time you know um i've been trying to burn some vacation time this uh month just because i didn't use it all up and if you don't use it you lose it so they're super generous about letting you take time off around this time so i've got all the tuesdays and fridays off for the rest of the month pretty much and uh, so I've, I've been using, trying to use that time off to just go, whatever, man, you know, serve myself and fly, man, reward myself for a year's worth of hard work. And yeah, it's cold and it sucks, but dude, I'm, I don't know, man, I, I grew up in, around here, you know, and so I'm used to it. And so what I'll do is I'll go out and I'll, I'll fly a pack and then I'll put it in the back seat and then I'll sit in the car for a little bit and then I'll fly a pack. I just was determined after I made these adjustments, I'm like, I have to get out and fly. I don't care if it's cold. Um, and so, so that's my story. That's my heli story. 
on another tip, my son bought this uh, car, um, this little Toyota Avalon. The other car that he bought is just uh, a Beyond. He didn't actually, the other car, I'm sorry, he didn't buy. If you recall, I mentioned it, that we got that car for free. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the the framework that we would have to do on it's just above our pay grade. So uh, we're going to end up uh, giving that away to somebody else. He's got some other kid that wants to do something with it. But he bought a different car. And lo and behold, the rear, shot, the rear uh, struts and that thing were just worn to shit. So I, uh, he bought some new ones and, uh, I took them over to my, I don't have a garage in my house. So we went over to my mother's house there, her garage. I showed him how to do it. I made him do all the work, you know, but, uh, so that's, that's one other kind of mediumly major car repair he's got under his belt that he knows how to do. So you don't have to spend labor to have somebody else do it, you know? So it was kind of fun because I got to sit back and troll him with, with, while he's down there getting dirty. And of course, you know, I'd get down there, he gets stuck or lost. I get down there and save the day kind of deal. But uh, it was all him. It great. So That's awesome. Yeah, dude. So good week all around, I think. You know, all wins. I didn't have any crashes uh, in real life. I mean, I had a shitload of, you know, everybody crashes in the same like all the time, right? But I don't know. So yeah, that's me, man. It was good. Good times. Uh, Man, I, I don't really crash in the sim, but that's probably because I haven't turned it on in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. Right? Which is really bad. I really got to fix that. Yeah, this time of year is a perfect time to sim because it's cold out, right? You know, so break that shit out and go, even if it doesn't feel exactly the same. I'm realizing, you know, just like everybody says, and we all know it's true, um, you know, you'll, you'll have those moments where, I don't know, the hell he does something weird. And the more times you've bailed out from a situation like that, you're, your fingers just kind of do it automatically and it doesn't happen unless you do it in real life a whole bunch of times or you do it in the sim a whole bunch of times. And so even if the sim doesn't feel exactly like real life, when you've got to give a swift right aileron and forward elevator really quick to get back to level in your mind, you subconsciously just do it in real life. You just do it, you know, and so there's worth, you know, so. Oh, totally. At any level. No, I don't mean to say that there's not. I'm just really bad at doing it. <laughs> uh, but it hasn't got cold enough yet. We're going to fly tomorrow here in Atlanta, and it's supposed to be like 49 and 10 mile an hour winds. So it's going to feel cold. Damn, yeah. that's cold. Yeah, but we're going for it. I can't say you anything. It. It's currently 28. Yeah, see, it's like 30 here. Yeah, so you got to do it, Nick. You got to get out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm itching to go fly uh, somewhere other than my backyard. So um, I think I'm going to go ahead and, and go next, and then we'll check in with Dan for a minute. Uh, as much as he can manage, but, uh, yeah, so been kind of a, a busy heli week, uh, amongst lots of stuff going on, just holiday stuff. My wife's a big holiday person, so we're always on the go going to see family and lights and Christmas plays or I don't know, you name it, but I did manage to fly last Sunday. Uh, it was crazy foggy. Atlanta had like this three or four day stint last week where it was just super foggy, crazy humid. Uh, cool sort of this low hanging fog. Um, so we thought it was going to burn off. It didn't. So we get to the field and the ceiling is at like 50 feet or something. Uh -huh. Um, and it would start to disappear as you approach that. So I had my Scott Graham trademark cone in the back. So I threw that out in the field and then I just did a bunch of circuits five feet off the runway. Uh, yeah, there were boy. no plankers there, which was nice. <laughs> so I was like, what can I do that's low? And man, I was really getting these really pretty smooth backwards upright figure eights. Um, so that was fun. You know, I fun. turned kind of a, you know, bad visibility day into that. I really wanted to do a bunch of autos um, because I knew we were going to talk about them. So I wanted to kind of 
get some more practice in. Uh, but there was just no way. Like you try climbing the helicopter and it would start to disappear before you were anywhere near high enough. I was like, nope. Yeah, that's, that's the fun no of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not so courageous there where you like just go up and then just, you know, hit hold, full negative pitch and then wait and see where it pops out of the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't even that's- know. Speaking of that, like watching Nick Maxwell, even on a clear day, as high as he takes that thing on an auto, I'm like, I lost it two minutes before he does. I don't know how he does. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I couldn't see that far to save my life. I need binoculars or something. I mean, he takes that thing till it's like a millimeter, you know, wide in your vision kind of deal and then starts his autos. It's crazy. But anyway, the, the fog did start to burn off after some time. So I saved a couple of packs in the Logo 700 till last. Um, so I could actually open up that heli a little bit. Uh, so that was really fun. Um, definitely enjoying the helicopter as I get used to it a bit more. And I really wanted to do my first autos on it and see if Torque Tube was amazing. Uh, but mostly what I found out is that my autos are in really, really bad shape right now. Um, oh. I, I would use the word suck, in fact. Uh, the <laughs> are they like belly is, flops or what? <clears throat> well, I mean, they're little kangaroo hops to some extent, but they were miles from where I wanted it to land. Like miles. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I'm not, not going to win any auto contests anytime soon, but I'm usually not quite as bad as I was uh, on Sunday. It feels like there was kind of this long stretch where I always had an excuse for not working on autos like, oh, there's a fun fly next week and I don't want to crash anything or, you know, I only brought one heli today and I don't want to crash it. So I only do one auto at the end of all the flights that day or whatever. Uh, so I got to stop those excuses, and just bring more than one heli to the field. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I need to get on it. Um, and that's what I really realized on Sunday was that, oh my God, I've actually gone backwards in my progress on autos. So uh, I got a lot of work, a lot of work to do there. So, well, anyway. maybe you'll learn something today. I, and I actually, from that practice, wrote a bunch of extra questions uh, today because there's some things I know I need to work on that'll help me. Um, but, well, I'll save until we get to that conversation. Anyway. Uh, moving on from there, uh, I've been playing with the FR Sky X20 transmitter. Uh, yeah. We talked about a little bit last week, so that came in. And for now, I've just set up a couple of micros on it. I got the OMP M2 Evo and the Goose Guy S2 set up on there um, with the multi-protocol manual uh, module, you know, running uh, the Futaba protocol because I already had Futaba receivers on those helicopters. So it took me a minute to wrap my head around, you know, a few places. Um, it uses this mixer menu a lot more than you would expect. Um, but once you realize that most things are there, uh, you kind of get used to it. But now I've been rolling through. I got custom audio files in there. I've, you know, got Lewis scripts running the multi-protocol manual. Uh, we're going to talk yeah. about Lewis scripts in just a quick second here because uh, we got a little bit of uh, <laughs> listener email about that. Um, but it's all been pretty straightforward stuff. So I'm getting real comfortable on that radio. Um, I actually started moving a switch around on the back of the radio and soldered that in because, you know, I, I never see, I don't know why there's momentary switches on radios. I never use them. Um, so I'm yeah, always same. taking those out and replacing them with another two or three position. And, you Spoken know. like a true non-nitro person. <laughs> like, what do you do with exactly. the monitor? Is that like the glow They work awesome thing? for glow. Yeah. Oh, like okay. that. I don't know. I use it for kill switches and stuff. Same like here. as a toggle? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll hold it to kill the, the nitro engine. That way I can accidentally flip it in flight. I'd have to hold it in flight in order to kill my engine by accident. Oh, oh yeah. and then when you let go, it's just done. Yeah. So why do yep. what do you use as the mechanism to hold it? Like, I mean, not obviously your finger, but I mean, like, what in the radio is happening while you're holding it that it's delaying the action? Just a delay. As, as I'm holding it, delay. it's it's um closing the throttle. Or if you bump it, it's not really going to kill the engine. It's just going to go like, and then come back because mm-hmm. you just bumped it. 
But if it was a three position, it would switch into the kill position and you're done. Yeah. It would just stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I still have the switch if I need it. <laughs> Can always solder it back on. Yeah. Uh, Good for gassers too. Well, well, well that I don't yep. need. Um, uh, so for now on the FR Sky Radio, I'm just going to sort of play with the micros and, and wrap my head around it. But the next step for me is definitely to start playing with telemetry and integration with some FBLs just kind of on the side. You know, V-Control is my home. I'm going to muck around with that, but this is kind of the fun side project stuff. Um, and I now have the perfect helicopter coming to be the test bed for that. Uh, we'll talk about this in the news, but I'm definitely going to pick up one of the Goose Guy RS4s and kind of turn it into a test bed for the FR Sky Radio. So I'll probably start with the um, optional FBL on the Goose Guy, and then I'll probably go to uh, the Mini Neo I have and see if it flies better, same, worse on that. And then from there, I'll probably, I think Icon is probably where I'll go next and work on integration with FR Sky with the Icon. Or maybe a brain. We'll see. Anyway, Dude, that just sounds like fun. Fun stuff to work on that doesn't cost a fortune. Um, you know, yeah. pretty easy to pick up a used FBL, mess with it, and if you don't like it, sell it. Um, but anyway, uh, speaking of FR Sky, a couple of misses from last week. Um, Got some good emails uh, from a couple of folks. Uh, Darren Weens from the Frozen North in Canucketia uh, wrote in to say that we breezed past, uh, you know, a term or two without really explaining them. And the biggest for him was Lua scripts, um, which I guess we probably just talked about without really explaining what it is. So if you got stuck on that one as well, uh, Lua script is, is just uh, a line of computer programming code that you can upload to your radio. It's as simple as cutting and pasting it to the right folder on the SD card that lives in the radio. Uh, to add functionality. And these low scripts may be written by the community. They may be written by a manufacturer. Um, for an example of that, that multi-protocol module I got from my radio, which just allows the radio to transmit to Futaba or uh, Spectrum DSMX or the OMP protocol. Um, you actually install that hardware by just clicking it into the slot, but then you run a Lua script, so you cut and paste it onto the uh, SD card, and the manufacturer provides that Lua script and it unlocks all that functionality in the menu. So now I have a drop-down box that says, I would like to talk to this receiver via the multi-protocol module in Futaba SFHSS. So that's yeah. what a Lua script is. So Darren, uh, thanks for the email on that. And I hope uh, that answered your question there. And then uh, yeah. we also got so a, another... The best, the best analogy I got for the Lua script thing that made it click for me is that the um, operating system in your radio is its operating system, right? But Lua Scripts is like the app store that has apps for extra functionality for your device, right? So there, yeah, so there's tons of Lua Scripts or apps for all kinds of extra functionality um, uh, to really broaden like the ability or to expand the ability of the radio. And installing them, Nick, like, just like you said, if you can drag and drop a file in, in your Windows Explorer, then you know how to install a Lua Script. It's pretty easy. Yeah, it's super easy. There's no configuration or anything. You just copy it and then you're done. It just runs. Yeah, that's it. Um, so super cool. I like that analogy. That's a good one, Rob. Thank you. Um, and then the other listener we heard from is a gentleman named Justin Wyatt. Uh, apparently, I when I was talking about the FR Sky X18 and X20 radios, uh, I mentioned that the difference between them uh, was that one has more channels than the other. That's actually incorrect. Uh, so thanks for the correction there, Justin. They have the same number of channels available. There's actually just some hardware differences between the radios. So thanks for that correction. So I just wanted to make sure we didn't steer uh, anybody wrong on that. Um, and then other than that, uh, I haven't gotten the chance to fly much since Sunday other than today. Uh, I did the horrible job of raking and bagging leaves all day. 
And the ratio was two bags of leaves carried to the front yard equals one micro flight in the backyard. So uh, I flew the OMP M2 about eight times today, and there's 16 bags of leaves in my front yard. And that's it for me. That's a lot of raking, man. Holy shit. Oh, dude, I, I've been kind of like blowing leaves into the back of my yard for years, and my wife wants to put a trampoline for the kids there. So now I have to remove uh. the leaves and uh, <laughs> level a little ground back there. Anyway, long story. Plan thwarted. Uh, new plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, new plan. Uh, so, Dan, you want to try and chime in? Give us a little update here? <coughs> I'd love to. <coughs> Bear with me. I'm, uh, I'm several days post-COVID positive, so I did test negative <coughs> today. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, it's been a rough... I started getting sick last week, last weekend, actually. I think it was Sunday. I talked to you guys. Maybe it was Monday. I don't remember, but I was really, I don't know. I went to work on, I didn't go to work Monday because I wasn't feeling good, but I did go to work on Tuesday and I was, thought I was feeling a little bit better testing. We have to test every day. We have a COVID outbreak where I work right now. So (laughs) everybody's testing every day. And so Wednesday, I really wasn't feeling good and I was not at all surprised when my morning COVID test turned positive. So <laughs> send me home. I've been dealing with that. This this is the second time I've had it. And um, the first time wasn't awful. It wasn't good. But this one really, <laughs> really kind of really got to me. It, um, Kicking your ass, huh? Ugh. Well, it's really affecting my lungs. Like, I was just really, really sick last time. Like, I just, ugh, you know, fever, just chills, yeah. body aches. This one is... As you can hear, I'm, you know, I'm still. Yeah, it's real respiratory, it sounds like. Yeah, for Yeah, sure. it's like um, a lot of deep breaths and stuff like that. So no flying, obviously. And I, to be honest, nothing, Kelly, really. I haven't even touched it. I haven't touched anything, to be honest with you. Wait, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <coughs> no fly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Try yourself. Scott. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll yourself. shut up. Goodbye. Okay. I wanted to mention the, the Lewis scripts. Um. Yeah, there. Uh, I was actually Rob kind of clarified what I was going to say. You know, a Lewis script kind of works within a framework of an already existing operating system without affecting the operating system in any way, shape, or form. It's very safe. I actually used to write Lewis scripts for a video game called Final Fantasy XI Online <laughs> for my personal use, and these are long. They, you know, they they can be simple, one or two lines. They can be long. 10,000 lines, right? It, it depends upon yeah. the functionality that you... Lulu <laughs> <laughs> scripts are, are, are fun to mess with. I, I've never done it with <laughs> open source radios or anything like that, but lots of experience with them. Yeah. Other applications. But uh, no, as far as the last couple of weeks, of course, obviously I wasn't there. I was not feeling good. And um, the only, yeah, you're, I guess... You're just trying not to choke up a lung? This week especially. It was... Um, yeah, I was keeping a very, very close eye, low sats. My, my, my oxygen was desatting into the eighties and you know, I'm being a nurse. I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, I know the consequences of that, right? It's, um, it, it could be potentially very serious and as most people understand, but I, um, I kept a close eye on it and I do have, you know, tools here. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. I've got appliances here to help with, uh, respiratory issues. And, um, I was able to keep an eye on it and uh, do what I needed to do to not end up in the hospital. Although my doctor <clears throat> it was pretty ins- adamant that I did go to be admitted, but 
got on some <laughs> antivirals, which I do believe helped immensely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think I'd still be um, <clears throat> struggling. Or actually, I feel fine, to guys, to be honest with you. I, I mean, my, I don't feel like I've got a head cold or, or stuffy or, or anything. It's just, it's all respiratory at this point. Yeah, just right in the chest there. <laughs> which, <clears throat> which suck. But anyway, uh, my RC Japan order showed up. Hey, nice. The rowboat made it. <sighs> Dude, Sick. I'm telling you what, man. Once they get it, once they get your shit sorted, they don't fuck around. Yeah, nice. In other words, I got an email, well, you know, once they ended up with, um, oh, Christ, what was the motor or the pipe I ended up with? I asked, I can't M remember. M-Studio? M-Studio pipe. Uh, initially, I was just going to get a basic fun key pipe, right? Uh, nothing fancy and cheap. Um, they didn't have that. They kind of kept pushing the order back, and <laughs> I asked them to just swap it out for an M-Studio, and Actually, it wasn't that much more expensive, to be honest with you. Um, but once they got it all together, they sent me an email saying, okay, you're good to go. Pay us the difference on the pipe. And it was like I had to PayPal them another $4. <laughs> okay. Right. Nice. <clears throat> and um, got a, a tracking email, a, a FedEx uh, email, a tracking number, like on Friday. And it was here Monday. Thursday. Nice. That's right pretty quick. Yeah. So... I don't know about you. I know Scott can appreciate this. There is few things in life more exciting than opening up a brand new nitro motor box. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, it's all wrapped up in the plastic and it's so much potential. You know what I mean? You're looking at this motor going, oh, I cannot <laughs> wait. Yeah. Little nice, little light layer of oil on everything. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to treat you well. I'm never going to run you lean. I'm going to break you oh. in right a week later. <laughs> <laughs> After running uh, every time. That's you. how it goes, though. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I keep you clean so you don't overheat. After running all of it for you, baby. And it's like, uh, yeah. But anyway, when you first get them, they're awesome, right? They're nice and shiny and yeah. uh, pretty exciting. Really so I'm gonna, shiny. I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, start working on the uh, 580 Kraken uh, now. Now that I've got everything for it, fun. That's cool. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, and I've actually meant, <laughs> I had a long. Well, I had a decent phone call with one of our listeners, Justin. I think Wyatt was his name. Cannot remember your last name, Justin, but you'll know. You'll know. Um, he, you know, kind of talking about um, the episode where we were talking about the AMA and I was kind of giggling at a, a press release that the AMA had and it frustrated him a little bit. And I get that. And he and I talked about it and I think he under, understood where I was coming from. And, and listen, <laughs> listeners of the show, the show remember back in the early days when, you know, we, me and a few guys uh, tried to put together an organization called RC Fly uh, to help, you know, to work with the AMA uh, when all these regulations were, uh, potential regulations were going to start staring us down and just the reception that we got. And that's where, you know, that's where that comes from. And, and I, I'm not going to rehash all that. If you're really super interested, <laughs> you, you could probably find it <clears throat> in the old archive shows. If you really want to know the ends, you know, the nuts and bolts of <laughs> those conversations, but he made a really good point. And I conceded to this point and I, 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 
you know, it's like anything else. Um, you may not like the organization completely, but the simple matter of the fact is they are our organization, right? They, they are there to do what they can. And, and, and times have probably changed. I mean, I'm, when I think of the AMA, this is going to date me, but I'm thinking of back in the day when, you know, Bob Brown was running the show and, and you had like four or five of those old cronies um, that I'm sure a lot of folks like. <laughs> but, you know, they were old guys. They were old plankers. They really had no interest in, in, in helicopters and <laughs> in drones and <laughs> kind of the new, newer blood of the hobby, which, you know, they were all plankers, right? And there was a disconnect there between uh, us and them. We felt maybe there wasn't, but so we just had a different opinion of, I guess, of those folks. There's a whole new breed of leadership there. I have no idea, to be fair. And I haven't given them, I, you know, maybe I need to spend a little bit of time kind of going over, you know, for myself and understanding where do they stand currently, you know, and maybe they are doing a good job now. So thank you, Justin, for kind of bringing that, <laughs> that to my attention. And, um, you know, I'll kind of keep an eye on that. Um, you know, I can't continue to judge an organization from 15 years ago, right? That was a long time ago things change yeah that's true they do. <laughs> so you know it is what it is and and uh you know i i am a member of the ama i pay my yearly i hadn't been because i hadn't been in the hobby but i do and um they are the organization that represents us and as such you know i'm going to support them and i'll mock them if i need to <laughs> you know what i mean if they do something silly i'll i'll say something about it that at least in my opinion I find it <laughs> I find it silly, but I, I'm about done because I I really can't um, continue. So that's uh, that's kind of what's new with me, guys. Uh, thank you, the the rest of the crew here for kind of <clears throat> pulling up the extra weight and getting getting the shows recorded while I'm I'm out. I'm hoping by next week <laughs> uh, I'm either dead or able to talk. So we'll yeah, see. we hope you're back too, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure I will. You just get. Just get well. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, just remember right. the number Dan. one of our CHN is don't die. Don't die. <laughs> Especially Dan. Dan can't die. Don't well, die, I heard Dan. you guys had already found a replacement for me, so I, I feel good about it. I feel like it was a good choice. I commend you on your choice. Should I have died? Dougie? No. Daryl oh. Thorpe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Daryl. Sorry, Darren. We may have made some jokes about how good a job you did the other day. <laughs> anyway, guys, I'm gonna I'm here and uh, I'm I'm gonna be listening in for the remainder of the show. <laughs> I may chime in with some questions when you guys get to talking about the topic at hand, but I'm gonna have to mute because <clears throat> I feel like I'm getting <clears throat> yeah uh, exit along out of my mouth. <laughs> yes, sir. Have some tea and enjoy the show. <laughs> thank you guys <laughs> all right thanks that's, for that, that felt like Dan. what they say when you get to go on a roller coaster have some tea and enjoy the ride you know like <laughs> that's what rob just did do you go to your roller coasters in england or, or something no 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 well the slow sometimes kind. it feels like it is that they like the harry go. potter ride or something at universal oh no i don't go to universal i go to six flags elitches yeah Anybody else got any uh, updates to share before we dig into some news? Oh, All right. No, I don't. Take us in, Rob. News. 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 
That was uh, one of your more interesting ones. Yeah. Yeah. Special. Yeah. special. That was a special one. I did that like was a the, special the ending was good. Yeah, uh, a softer, yeah. a softer vibe for our friend. Dan. Yeah, especially that. Uh, at the yeah, end, that's my know. favorite part. It's always the trailing bit at the end. All right, let's yeah. get into some news here. This is Carrie Shirley with Gas Powered Helicopters. When I want to know the latest going ons with RC helicopters, I listen to Dan and the guys at RC Heli Nation version three. So those orange and white versions of the uh, SAB RAW helicopters that we were talking about is the creamsicle versions uh, of the SAB RAW 420, 580, and 700 electric kits. Uh, those are all now available for pre-order at your favorite retailer. Uh, expected ship date is around December 23rd. Uh, get so that you may- hmm? I said get that sherbet. Get that sherbet or creamsicle. Uh, anyway, expect the ship dates around December 23rd, so you'll get them just before or maybe after Christmas, uh, maybe depending on if you've been naughty or nice. Um, you should get them before the end of the year either way. And then word on the street in the rumor mill, uh, perhaps share it on another podcast, uh, is that Gregor McGrath at Absolute CNC Products is working on some new pipes for nitro engines. Uh, no details yet. I reached out to Gregor today. I haven't heard back yet. Uh, see if he's ready to share anything. So for now, it's just uh, in the solid rumor mill category. But uh, if it's Gregor, I'm sure it's going to happen. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to hear that. Um, he's certainly already made some great uh, hobby products and uh, is a huge Nitro fan. So put those things together. And uh, I'm sure there's going to be some good things to come there. From vaporware uh, to vapor producer. Yeah. I mean, could this be the new modern Hattori? I don't know. I don't know anything about pipes. Uh, I do know Gregor's a good dude. All right. So the other one we just saw minutes before pressing record on this episode is that Miniature Aircraft is working on a new gasser helicopter. Uh, There were some photos seen on Facebook. Uh, First spotted them on the uh, gas-powered helicopter page. That's Carrie Shirley's uh, company. Uh, And it's going to be called the Interceptor 600 size gasser. Uh, From the photos, it looks like it's designed for the OSGT-15HZ gasser engine. And that's as much as I can fake my way through a gasser helicopter from a couple of pictures. Uh, Scott or Devin, you have anything to add from taking a look at those photos? It's got two blades, um, fuel tank, which is nice. Okay, good. Uh, it takes four, five servos. Uh, oh, two tail blades. Oh, boom. Yeah. <laughs> and a tail boom and a thing to, to do the spinny of the tail. That yeah. One of those yeah. Two. Which Wait, is there... all features you need. Yeah. Boom supports? No boom supports. I didn't look. No. I, I think it has them. I didn't look, yeah. but it has them. Okay. So, so, miniature, so miniature aircraft used to make that whiplash gasser. Do they still make the whiplash? Or oh yeah, I, yeah, yeah, they're they're still it. yeah, word. And so they've it's got the that. only current gasser helicopter you can buy without a conversion. Yeah. Yes. Oh right, right out of the box. And That's before cool. Dan clicks off mute and goes, <laughs> Birkin still sells helicopters. <laughs> I said modern. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> <laughs> love you Dan <laughs> uh-huh. so that's pretty cool 
Yeah. yeah, it doesn't look too bad from the pictures so far. I guess we got to see more in the future when it comes, right? Yeah, yeah. no shots of the canopy or anything yet. But uh, mm. apparently more information will be released in the coming days. So uh, keep an eye uh, online for that from Miniature Aircraft. All right, now coming into our news of the week, kind of a short news week this week. Uh, Goose Guy has released more information about the uh, upcoming release of their RS-4 helicopter. Um, we've seen some kind of tease photos and videos uh, in the weeks leading up, uh, but now we actually have some real information. Uh, so we now know that uh, it's going to come in two versions uh, and that it's a 380-size helicopter. Uh, so... All of our guessing as to size. Rob, I think you might have said maybe it's a 380. But anyway, uh, it is a 380. Uh, it comes two ways. You can get it as a plug-and-play version. This will include the helicopter, servos, motor, uh, the Bluetooth module for tuning the FBL, battery, the blades, and the ESC, uh, and the Goose Guy uh, fly wireless unit. Basically everything except for a receiver and uh, a transmitter uh, you'll have to provide your own so basically just like the way the goose guy s2 comes and most micro helis come uh, however it will be in kit form this is not coming to you as a completed helicopter uh, according to the specifications released uh, today uh, there's also going to be released what's called the kit version uh, and the difference here is that it only includes the airframe the blades the battery the servos and the motor so you would have to provide your own esc uh, receiver your own FBL uh, for that one. Uh, so if you want to, you know, pick your own components there, you can certainly do so. Still going to come with the servos and the motor. Uh, no word on pricing yet. That should be released uh, probably this week by the sounds of things. Uh, the helicopter should be available sometime in January and presumably pre-orders will open uh, in the pretty near future. Um, so the latest video I've seen on the helicopter, it wasn't in English, um, but it did show kind of the CAD drawings for the helicopter and some pictures from a few different angles. So it looks like the ESC is undermounted, uh, and they've actually shaved a little bit of weight and wire just by doing, there's a panel mount connector on the ESC, so your battery literally plugs right into the side of the ESC uh, with a nice short lead there, and then a really short connection from the ESC to the motor uh, directly. Uh, so that's kind of cool. Uh, it does look like it's got a front-loading battery tray, um, and that... Uh, the reason I think the servos are included uh, also in the kit version is that it looks like they're kind of a structural element of the frame. So the way that they attach to the top bearing bracket, uh, at least towards the front of the helicopter, is the only way that bracket, I think, is supported. So the, the servos are also structural, so I don't think you'll be able to sub in uh, your own servos or want to. Uh, that would certainly lead to a bunch of uh, shenanigans you'd have to go through for that. So it looks like, you know, kind of a nice, well-thought-out, compact-designed 380-size helicopter. It's going to be available in white, pink, and yellow schemes. And I definitely plan on picking one up. Um, looking forward to hear the price. Uh, I'm curious where we think it's going to come in. So I was, I was looking around, trying to, trying to make an educated guess here. So the 649. That's yeah, so it's the Goose Guy S2, which is, you know, the plug-and-play version. Uh, that includes servos, FBL blades, you know, ESC motor, et cetera. It's 350, but it's obviously much smaller. Uh, the SAB RAW 20, obviously different manufacturer. That only includes uh, the motor and the blades is about 550. So where do we reckon the Goose Guy 380 is going to come in? Who's got a guess? For which? For the plug and play. So it includes everything except a receiver and a transmitter. Yeah, basically everything. Yeah. So motor, ESC, Goose Guy FBL, servos, blades, the whole shebang. I wouldn't be surprised to probably see 700 for all of it. I'm yeah, guessing maybe. 
you know, it's going to be between five ninety nine and six ninety nine. I think six ninety nine. Yeah, I'm saying six twenty nine. That's what I'm. I'm saying the website that sells it for six twenty nine is going to sell the most. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking because even even the kit version is still coming with servos and blades and stuff like that, right? Yeah. But so this is and yeah. this is the ready to fly. So you're getting every the plug and play. So you're getting everything. That's. Yep. Uh, you can only do it for so cheap. Yeah, exactly. Like you can only get it down. I mean, if you look at the, the 420, which is obviously bigger, so you know a little more material expense there. But that only includes the motor and uh, yeah, that's it. Just the motor, right? No, no servos, no ESC, none of that. So and that's at 550. So it's got to be more than that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Huh. Mm. We'll yeah, see. I, I could see 700. I would pay 700 for this up. It'd be interesting fair. to see what parts cost will be for this one. They yeah, seem to I mean, be pretty good for that, like the S2 and stuff. They don't yeah, the S2 be, is pretty cheap. You know, they're the motors, I, was expecting, I was expecting motors for the S2 to be a lot more than they are, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Uh, that's it for me for the news this week. Anybody else got anything they want to share? All right. With that, that's our news for this week. Moving on from the news to our main topic this week. Uh, so this week we're going to talk about auto rotations, which is timely because I'm discovering I suck at them. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to to learning a lot here about them. Uh, we're going to let kind of Scott drive uh, the bulk of this conversation, but uh, Devin, Rob, Dan, I'm sure chime in uh, as you have questions or answers to add. I'm um, scared. And we're, we're going to kind of start from some basics and then and then scale up to kind of some advanced autos from there and then just pick Scott's brain. But for those that don't know or always land their helicopter uh, under power, uh, what is an auto rotation with a radio control helicopter? An auto rotation is where you click a switch on your radio and your bunghole puckers very tightly and you ship brakes until your helicopter hits the ground. Yes, and hopefully it's in one piece. <laughs> and land it softly. That's pretty accurate. Oh, no, totally. It is, it, you know. So for the newbies, the auto rotation is the same kind of thing that the full scale helicopter guys practice in case of an engine failure. They can come down out of the air safely without destroying the helicopter. Well, in the RC helicopter world, we do the same thing for fun. And also in case our battery dies or you have a, like an electronic failure or something that causes you to not have power in the sky anymore. Learning how to auto rotate is a great way to get your hel recover your helicopter out of the air and sometimes folks will do it for sport you know and have contests and this and that but in the end you know it's one of those fundamental rc helicopter kind of uh learning chores that every helicopter pilot should at least try to engage in on some level is that a good yeah, answer absolutely yeah and especially the whole adding to the complexity of the whole hobby too like it's a real nice thing to learn it's 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 a cool thing to do at the end of your flights to add a little bit of flair but it also gives you a little bit of challenge too when you start like throwing in one more flip, one more maneuver, one more this and that into your autos. Um, it's really fun. It uh, adds a little bit of risk to it, a little bit of gambling if you start doing dumb things during them. So it just adds some enjoyment to the flight. Yeah, it really is fun. And, and it's also terrifying, but it, the, t the terrifying part becomes more fun. Like when you watch your blades start to slow down because you're doing it wrong and you can start to see them. And you know, you know that they're about to stop if you don't fix it quickly. It's terrifying. And yet, you laugh maniacally if you manage to save that <laughs> helicopter and yeah. you're giddy as can be. <laughs> maniacally. For me, auto, I, I have to say for me, 
like you know you know they say like when you're flying you know basically it's all you you know what i mean and but um for me like even when i'm under power i i get that you know i'm it's all me i'm flying the helicopter i'm the guy that's in control but it seems like there as soon as you flip the switch and there's no more power to the main rotor head I feel like that's one of the only moments where it truly is actually all you 100% all you and your skills are the difference between that thing staying together and becoming a crash. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you can, there are times where you can be in the air under power and have a vapor, a vapor lock or have some sort of a other thing. And you're just like, Oh, and, but because the helicopter is under power, it just kind of floats there for a minute. Then you regain your clarity again and you go back to flying but when you're auto rotating there's really not any room for that so it's just it's the only time where you're just naked in the hobby it's just all just you and your fingers you know and so yeah yeah so let's let's break it down for a minute let's let's try and get the folks who don't necessarily know what an auto is other than essentially gliding the helicopter towards the ground um you know you're using the power of gravity um to you know keep air uh, going through the blades and keep them spinning um, and then, you know, building energy in the disc. But Scott, let's talk a little bit about the best way to learn a basic auto and what the various parts of an auto are from start to finish. Uh, so what's the first thing you do to, you know, to set up for an auto and what happens from there? Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about like how people should approach it or just talk about the perfect like textbook easy auto right now? I think let's, let's start textbook and then let's talk about, okay, how do we practically learn how to auto? And we can start talking about kind of you know, baby autos and some other things. Okay, cool. So the absolute most easiest way to do an auto is if you're, uh, all the angles I'm talking about are assuming it's like calm wind, by the way, no wind in either direction, but you want like a perfect 45 degree, like one-to-one -one glide slope. So you want to come in when you do your auto and come in exactly like 41, 45 degrees to your feet. And it gives you, you know, for every foot you drop in altitude, you move a foot forwards. And it's the easiest to kind of keep the energy in the blades. You can hear the blades kind of make that blade fart noise as you're coming down, letting you know that you're not screwing up. Um, and nothing drastic happens. It's like a real nice, calm descent towards yourself. And it's predictable where it's going to go when you do that. Um, so I always recommend when you're learning, just stick to 45s. And it's really difficult for stuff to go that drastically wrong when you do that. Um, but typically when I do an auto, I'll obviously take off. I'll begin my climb out. I'll go climb out at the same angle I want to come down at just to kind of get myself used to seeing it. And then I'll turn around and I'll start my approach towards myself with forward momentum. A lot of times people skip that step. They go fly up and they go and they hover or they're flying away from themselves and then they try and hit hold. Now they've got to try and use the energy in their blades to turn their helicopter around, change direction, then start coming towards themselves. And it doesn't always go as planned. So it's always good to come around, start coming towards yourself, start your descent, and then hit hold when you're learning these things. That way you're fully set up, you're stable, you're going in the right direction, everything's calm, now we're going to auto. So you come down at your 45 degree glide path, um, typically you're going to be controlling your uh, position where you're going to end up with your collective. You'll drop your collective down a little bit to make it land further, um, let's say you're coming from, from right to left. If you give it a little bit more negative, you're going to land a little bit more to your right. And if you feather towards neutral collective, you're going to be a little bit more to your left. You can kind of choose your position that way. Um, and then you could change your, your blade RPM with both that collective and 
disc angle. So you can, you should keep the nose like pointed down a few degrees from flat. Um, but you can lift and lower that to kind of control your, your descent, your speed and the noise that it's making in the air. Um, and during that entire step, you should hear this like very low pitch, like kind of noise coming from the blades. Um, it's almost like a rumble or a, a hum vibration. And when you get it right, you can absolutely hear it. And you can hear the blade RPM actually increase from where it is um, if you're doing it right. And then when you start to get it wrong, you could hear that, that vibration noise kind of decrease in RPM. So you can kind of learn to feather it and, and change your RPM as you come down. Um, then once you get to about eye level, maybe a little above eye level, you want to flare the, the tail. So you'll lift the front of the disc. That way the air coming through the disc um, accelerates the disc just a little bit more um that'll increase your head speed again and then you want to do one of these like you say a baby auto basically because now you're at eye level real easy most people can do those baby autos from that level and it's just following those muscle memory kind of inputs from that point until you sit it down on the ground real soft so the thing that took me a while to learn uh, was during that flare the key is to not apply positive pitch. And I kept applying positive pitch and it was killing Ooh. all the energy in the disc. Yeah. And, and what I think it, it, I don't know, it wasn't intuitive to me. Maybe it is to some is that that act of flaring as you're approaching, you're actually adding energy to the disc in the flare. So you're not applying any positive pitch. You're kind of at neutral pitch, maybe a hair negative. Um, and you're just throwing all this energy in the disc. And then when you level out, you got tons of head speed to settle it in, uh, with a baby auto. Um, and that was the key to me to finally start successfully, um, you know, doing auto rotation. Yeah, see, I learned something new today because for that step myself, when I would get down to that spot, it, what I was doing was I was, in my mind, I was just like, okay, I just need to generate a moment of lift. And so I was doing just like you, Nick, I would just do a little, little bit of a pump and then come back down to zero. And it would just give me this little whoof. But really, all I was doing was just depleting a ton of head speed right at the end that I could have used for something else at the end there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny because you got all this downward momentum from gravity, right? So you're coming down towards the ground and you're getting closer and closer and you're 10 feet off the ground when you start your flare roughly, uh, maybe a little lower. So you're super nervous. So you desperately want to add positive pitch to stop this thing from piling into the ground. Yes. But what you realize <laughs> once you do it without doing that is that the helicopter basically stops dropping. Even though you've given no positive pitch and you start that flare, it, it stops falling out of the sky, much like if a big wind gust hits your helicopter, right? It might balloon yeah. it up or something. It's kind of that same sort of like, you didn't do anything, but I don't know, maybe that's a bad example, but... So more RPM, not more... more yeah, pitch. basically you're getting more yeah. RPM as if you know, you're, you're being lifted by a gust of wind or something. And then you start to descend, you know, once you've kind of settled it back level after that flare. And you can hear it. You can hear that energy add to the disc and the flare, which is cool. Yeah. And one thing to keep in mind, too, is like when you get that vibration noise and you're coming down, that, that hum, um, like you said, you don't use positive pitch, but you can actually get it to that point and you could pull elevator back and forwards and you could make the helicopter kind of go up and down based on that. Um, and it's really, really quite cool. You can use that one stick to do it. Nice. I actually wanted to go back to that. You were talking, Scott, about in the 45 degree descent, um, using, you know, you know, elevator forward, you know, tipping the front of the disc forward or, or up or down, I should say. Um, and that changing the RPM, what direction does what in that instance? So, so if you tilt the nose up, the RPM will increase within reason. If you break that totally level 
Uh, so imagine completely horizontal. If you bring the tip of that disc above level, you're starting to lose RPM immediately. But you're going to notice your helicopter will go up. It'll start to climb. Um, and then you drop it below that halfway mark again, and it starts to, to build RPM again. The helicopter will start to sink again. Um, so you can really feather your RPM and your altitude with that. Um, so typically what I'd say is I'll, I'll control my RPM with elevator as I come down, and I'll control my landing position with collective to try and get that perfect like 45-degree slope. And if you drive it down at 45 like that, you'll usually end up in the right collective area just trying to do that on its own. Yeah. Cool. All right. So now that we have kind of a solid definition of an auto and, and a great explanation, what's the best way to learn how to do one? Like, how do we break this down into non-terrifying, like, all right, let's do this uh, and start to figure it out? Yeah. So like you said, those baby autos, uh, that's one of the first things I always tell people to do is bring it up to about hip height, maybe waist height hold and then feather it down to the ground it's really difficult if not impossible to destroy your helicopter at that altitude from just hitting hold i mean you could probably hit hold and just kind of hold it there and it'll just sink and and bump on the ground and you're really not going to break anything obviously if you wrench the cyclic to the side and dig it in you're going to break it but if you're trying to not break it it's really hard to break it at that altitude (laughs) um so that once you get the hang of that, that's how you learn to kind of set it down at the end of an auto and do a nice like feathering of the collective to just touch the skids and do it very softly. So one thing we start doing um, recently to try and teach autos, which I've noticed helps people learn really, really quickly because it kind of takes the danger out of it. Um, we end up doing like a increased auto rotation position on the throttle. So back in the day, we couldn't really do this because transmitters only really had like one hold position. It was motor on, motor off, basically. Um, It wasn't that common to have a three-position switch back there, and no one really thought about it. Uh, But now, we usually have a run position, an auto-rotation position, and then a motor off position. Um, So what we'll do is we'll take the hold position, and we'll set that throttle to like like 40%, 43%. Depending on what kind of ESC you have, you can get the head speed super low. And what we try and program it for is to the point that if you were to leave it at that RPM, you'd be able to give full collective when it was on the ground. It might pop off the ground like five or six inches, and then it'll start to sink and and then touch the ground again. So even if you were to hit hold and give full collective, it would only ever start to sink really slow. It's not enough to fly, but it's it's enough to keep you from crashing. Nice, like auto practice with a pillow. A hundred percent. So what we do at that point is obviously once you've got your nose in approaches figured out, so you're comfortable flying out and flying towards yourself nose in, like that's a must. If you can't do that, don't start doing autos yet because you're not there. But uh, you'll use this, what we just set up. You'll go take it to your auto position. You'll hit hold and you could play with that fluttering noise all you want. You could find the hum. You can get out of the hum. You could stall the blades, anything. It's never going to stop the blades. And it's not going to get to the point you're going to crash. If anything, it'll just start, start to sink really slow. Um, so you do that all the way to the ground and then, then bump it in the ground. Um, and what we'll do as well, we'll tie in buddy box with this too. Um, there's people that say, oh, you can't buddy box autos. If you can read an auto and you know what's happening and you know what to listen for and you're a very proficient autoer, you can auto for other people because you know before it goes pear-shaped that it's starting to go bad. So 
I'll usually buddy box with someone. I'll set up their, their bailout this way. We'll send them up and start shooting autos. Um, within 30, 40 minutes, like I can have people doing autos with this feature, landing it. And then within the day, we'll shut that feature off, go back to a normal motor off auto, and then buddy box with them, bring them down. And if something goes wrong up in the air, it's real easy for, for me to click back in, bring the head speed back up and go. So general rule of thumb, if you're flying with someone that can do a blade stop auto, they can save most bad autos as long as they jump in before it gets real bad. Um, but there's, there's an altitude that I kind of call like the point of no return or the dead man zone. Um, real helicopters have the same thing. So like news helicopters are flying in this dead man zone all the time, which is like it's too low to auto but not high enough to auto. Um, Cause you can do like baby autos below a certain altitude, but then you could only do real autos above a certain altitude. But then there's a dead man zone that just doesn't work. And for RC helis, that's like 10 to 15 feet, maybe 20 feet off the ground. And it's just, it's not enough to get it down with the energy you got. Um, but it's not enough to speed up the blades if you stalled out. So it's like real difficult to get it to work. Um, the only the only way around that is if you're moving fast enough to use the forward momentum to build blade speed. But if you're hovering at those altitudes, it's real difficult not to break skids. Yeah, so maybe yeah. some guidelines then would be don't start a baby auto any higher than about six feet high level. Yeah. And then what should our minimum altitude be to practice a full-on auto? Like I would say that dead zone? 30 or 40 feet. General rule of thumb is look around if there's trees. Don't do an auto below tree height. It's, it's pretty safe. Yeah, that's like a good rule, yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, the height of like average trees at a flying field is basically the, the most you can get away with. Um, and some people try and... I'm glad you mentioned that. Some people try and push into this. Like like my analogy of you know working your way into a problem slowly. This doesn't work for autos. <laughs> you can do baby autos until head height, like you said. But if you try and just extend a baby auto higher and higher, two feet at a time, you will 100% crash. Once you get above about 10 feet, 12 feet in the air, if you're just doing straight vertical autos. Yeah, you got to skip that band of sky yeah. there, that dead zone and get up higher. Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. As soon as you get the head height baby autos figured out, it then becomes easier to go to 200 feet, 300 feet, basically until you can't see it. The higher you go for these autos at this point is the safer you are. Because if yeah. you absolutely screw it up, you have more time before it hits the ground to get that blade speed back. Because absolute panic, worst case scenario, if you don't even have bailout set up, you at least have enough altitude for it to spool up a little bit and get you out of trouble. Um, obviously, the best way to do it is to set up a bailout. Um, should we explain bailout? Yeah, a I was bit? just going to say, while we're, while we're here talking about it, let's, uh, let's explain what bailout is. Well, yeah. real quick before we do it, before we talk about a, a, um, an external recovery aid like bailout, like a bailout in your speed controller or whatever, right? Um, one qu key question that I have that I think is a good, this is a good time to talk about it. Cause we're talking about the dead zones and like you talking about buddy boxing and taking over. If you see the head speed dropping for me, one of the biggest disconnects from taking my auto practice out of the sim is that I'm getting okay in the sim doing things, but sometimes if I'm up there and just some weird brain fart happens or I'm not going it forward towards myself as fast as I thought and then I realize oh shit I'm almost out of head speed I don't know what to do there in the sim and it just falls out of the sky and then I reset and then I try again right 
but I'm afraid to try it in real life because I don't know. That's one of the things I've never really heard people talk about how, what to do. They talk about how to maintain a steady auto throughout, but maybe we could spend just a little bit of time because bailout seems pretty easy. You configure it and the thing just gives you back head speed. But if you don't have that ability, Scott, what are some good tips for how to, if you notice your head speed is way below that vibration you were talking about and stuff, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing a person should start doing to try to gain that head speed back and try to save the auto? Okay. Best thing I like to do is let's say that you're coming down at what you thought was 45, but you start to slow the blades down too much and you're in trouble. Um, best way, fastest way to get that head speed back. I usually pitch the nose down. So the disc is now at 45 degrees. And then I drop the collective down to like, um, halfway into the negative, if that makes sense. So it's not, not neutral yeah. halfway. It's between full negative and zero, uh, neutral. Right. So full, yeah. Right in the middle of that negative travel, um, the helicopter will start to dive pretty quick. Um, do that for maybe a second, second and a half at most. Um, <clears throat> and then as soon as you start to, you know, you've already obviously gained a bunch of speed at this point cause you're diving down. Now bring the nose back up and slowly bring the collective back to where you kind of should be, uh, you know, a little bit below neutral. And as soon okay. as you do that, when you raise the nose and raise the collective, you'll hear the blades go and then yeah, speed up again. You'll have your catches the air and yep. kind of speeds them up again. Okay. Yep. Okay. So you're, you're basically just getting energy when you do that. So when okay. you, you're, you're allowing it to accelerate towards the ground, like a free fall drop. And I just got to be willing to do that. It's already starting to drop and I'm like, I don't want that <laughs> to happen. But I need to do that in order to get out of it, essentially, yes. right? And that's where that yeah. dead zone starts to come in. Because if you don't have the room to come down to regain your head speed, you're just going to pop in. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, uh -huh. you can't dive like that from that dead zone. Because that second or so dive means you're on the ground already. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's the space you need to get the head speed back. Okay, so I'll just have to practice. I'll practice that. Because... Up to date, you know, if I get, I'm just like, okay, cool. I'm doing this fancy fun auto. It's really up. I'm way up there. Oh, that's kind of small. Kind of Nick Maxwell high. Oh fuck. The blades are going to start to stop. I don't know what to do. And I just, I'm like, okay, I'll just reset. But now I'm going to actually try to practice doing those recoveries. Right. Um, because that's, that's really the big reason why I haven't really got into doing autos in real life. You know, I do these things. Like I think some people do these themselves too, where especially if I have like asphalt or uh, something like that. Or I'll come in low and fast, like an airplane, essentially, and I'll turn off the motor. But then, kind of we talked about before, that forward speed, I'll just come in with just a teeny bit of elevator, and I'll just and I'll just let it kind of fall in and land like an airplane and skid in. But I don't mm -hmm. treat that like an, I don't consider that's not really an auto rotation, really. Oh, right? totally is. Yeah, no, you're I totally doing auto. You've just, you've just traded altitude for heads. For speed. For forward speed. Yeah. yeah. So well, I say 45 degrees, it's, it's, you know, a neutral glide path. It's just the easy way to do it. It's not hauling ass and it's not coming down really fast. You can do an overspeed auto where you're diving towards the ground at like 150 miles an hour and then flare. Or you yeah. can do what you do where you're flying down the flight line at like 60 miles an hour and hit hold. And you yeah. use that forward energy. I mean, I can do like a, like a 50 to 100 foot auto horizontally, like at eye level doing that. Yeah. And you can just fly along the ground basically because you have all that forward momentum. You don't need to lose the altitude to keep the head speed. You're just bleeding off speed to do yeah. it. So you're just converting energy into, into disc RPM, whether it be forward momentum or vertical descent. 
Right, my angle um, attack is just different. So okay, okay, I'll call it an auto. Yeah, but I want to try some of these high up ones where I can save, try to save. You know, try these tip that tip and, and see if yeah, that it's helps. fun fun to play with. Um, another thing to consider too, if you're in trouble and you let's say that you can't dive, your RPM's not high enough to flare at the bottom, and you don't know what to do and you can't bail out, so you're in a lot of trouble, right? You want to try and get as much forward momentum as you can. Um, sounds counterintuitive. Sounds like it's going to break some shit, but Sliding autos require less RPM on the head than normal sitting autos, ones that come down and you touch the skids. So if I'm in trouble, you'll notice uh, if I'm doing like dismount autos or silly stuff and I'm messing with it, taking chances, you'll hear me go, oh, uh oh, and then I've got to do a slider. And it comes in and, and you do a sliding auto because you use a lot of energy to stop the speed of the helicopter and to sit it down nice and flat and straight. Yeah. Where if you can do a slider, super simple. You can just feather it right to the ground and be done with it. Nice. Nice. So let's circle back and just touch on uh, bailout and kind of explain a little bit about what it is, how we set it up, and how we test it safely uh, before we try it for real. Yeah, without stripping the main gear when you hit the switch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what I normally do for setting that up, I will set the value to like 40 because Hobby Wing, I think, is 40. Every ESC is a little different, but I'll go up, I'll put in a hover. I'll hit hold and then I'll do a baby auto to the ground and leave it in that position. If it's turning still and turning too quick, you go into your radio, you modify your hold throttle position, turn it down. If it's not spinning, you can actually get away with bumping it up a little bit back into that zone and it should start to spin. And what I typically do is I'll get it to the point it just starts to spin and then back it down a couple points from there. Uh, you usually end up anywhere between like 40 and 42 on a hobby wing. Um, but again, every ESC brand's different. Um, and this depends if you're using VBAR Gov or hobby wing Gov. So the, the hobby wing one is a little, e uh, is 40. Like I said, the VBAR one's a little easier. You can actually set like, uh, an RPM kind of thing. And it's smart enough to know not to do it because like the Neo is deciding. So the Neo knows when it's in the auto position versus the motor off position. So the motor can come to a dead stop um, and then still spool up quick within the allotted auto rotation time. Yeah. And I found as I was learning to auto that uh, practicing that bailout at a safe altitude. So maybe, you know, starting an auto at 100 feet plus up and then somewhere around halfway down kicking in bailout just it just lets you experience what that feels like what it sounds like um you know you might get a little bit of a tail kick in there that can sort of shock you or catch you off guard if you aren't quite used to it um it's not usually huge but you know it's worth practicing it right learn that muscle memory of where the switch is and what it feels like um and then you'll feel a lot more confident going into autos uh, that said you know there's a threshold of height where you're you know, it's kind of when you're in the dead zone, maybe, you know, about about 15 feet remaining, you're kind of committed. You really need to put that thing on and as an auto because you can hit bailout and then you get awfully close to the ground as the helicopters, you know, you're suddenly adding a ton of head speed when you don't want it uh, in the sense that you may not get enough to properly settle it down, which means you're going to hit awkwardly and crash as head speed's increasing and yeah. chicken dance it into the ground and, and bad land things can happen. Yeah. So there's yeah. definitely a... You know, you can definitely commit, um, I mean, once you, you pass that point of no return. So pass, I don't know. What do you think, Scott? 20 feet, 15 feet is really the last shot you have a bailout? For bailout, I don't do it ever below head height. Like if you're already at head height and it's not dropping like a rock, um, 
you're usually going to do less damage with the blade slowing down and flopping on the ground than you would if you were to hit bailout and clip a blade at power. Um, <clears throat> whenever you're doing autos, sliders, touchdown, whatever, not a lot of stuff breaks. The worst situation is when people boom strike. Um, that's usually the only damage you get. Whereas if you hit bailout um, and then you clip the ground, man, you're a full throttle ready to party. Like sometimes a tail swings yeah. around and it's in different orientations. It's just dangerous. Like yeah. if you're a head height, just put it in and, and try and feather it best you can. And then a really good tip that kind of helps prevent damage is most people when they're coming in for an auto, they're like, and they're stretching the shit out of it with full collective trying to like save the helicopter. But what they end up doing is because they're at full pitch and they're crashing at low RPM, the blades want to pivot backwards because that's what happens in a crash, right? They, they hit the ground, they spin backwards. Yeah. But at full collective, the blades go backwards and down, which means you're going to cut your boom off. Yeah. And that's why so many people boom strike on autos. You'll see it come down, it'll bump the skids, and then whack, the thing just whacks its tail off. Um, if you're going in, neutral collective right before it hits the ground, you probably won't break anything. Like, links and links included, you might even get away with that. Um, but I've had it where I don't damage a single thing in an auto doing that. If it's gone pear-shaped, neutral collective right before the ground, and it's, it's usually good to go. Cool. Just let All it right. plop in. So we talked about practicing autos and learning them in kind of a wind-free environment, but how does wind change an auto? Uh, and we can start with just a little bit of wind in terms of the direction we should start our autos and kind of work into different strategies at, at higher amounts of wind. So wind is great for an auto unless it's blowing at your face. Left to right, awesome, easy to deal with. Um, from your back towards you, equally as easy. Or sorry, from your back away from you, like, you know, towards your face away from you. Um, that's super simple because you always want to do an auto rotation kind of towards your feet. The difficult part is when the wind's going towards your face and you want to do an auto, the best approach is from behind you. You always want to go into the wind. So real difficult. I don't recommend doing normal autos when it's blowing at your face, if at all, doing autos at all. You can do overspeed ones relatively safely, but gliding them in is real difficult and never really goes where you want. And it always wants to go past the pipeline. Kind of Pretty shitty. much with the wind is a no-go. Maybe a side wind, but if you can get a headwind on the heli, then you're set. Yeah. Once you're proficient, you can do it. The wind doesn't matter at that point. You can do it any which way you want because you know how aggressively to, to throw it down or, or go fast into whatever direction you need to to make it happen. But learning, it's not advisable. But one thing you do need to keep in mind is if we're talking about doing a 45-degree glide slope in calm wind, if there's now wind blowing towards the front of the helicopter, that glide slope's going to have to change. Because in theory, you're going further forwards because you're in the wind than you were before. So in high wind, a 45 degree glide slope might actually be a lot shorter. You'll start maybe even closer towards you and do like a 60 degree towards the ground auto. Yeah. You know, something almost not quite vertical, but a lot closer to vertically down because you don't see it visually ground speed. But airspeed, you're traveling a lot faster forward. So you have to compensate in that glide path downwards. So a lot of people will go up when they're learning in the high winds. They'll go out to their normal 45 degree angle to auto it in like they're used to. And then they'll be like, why can't I get to myself? It just never comes in because you're traveling so much further forward. You're stretching that auto because of the wind. Yeah, you're basically trying to auto into the wind. And, and yeah, I suppose you yeah. can try to surf it down a little bit. If you once you know more about what you're doing, you know. Yeah, of course. All these like precautions and stuff is like new for autoing, not totally familiar with the things that happen. Um, obviously, like I keep saying, when you get proficient at it, none of this stuff matters. Like you know how to compensate for it. 
it's easy to get out of it. Not a problem. Well, let me back up two steps here, actually, before I get to that question. So I'm new. I want to learn how to auto. What's the best scenario? Do I practice on calmer days or do I look for a day with a little more wind? I personally recommend calm days just for consistency. Like a lot of people say that autoing into the wind makes things easier. I'm not a believer in that. I think gusts make it inconsistent. Different wind speeds make it inconsistent. And if you're trying to get it back to your flight area, it's real hard to figure that out. It's just, it makes it, I just don't recommend it. Calm days, I think are the best days. And that 45 degree rule of thumb. Once you, you can start changing that angle. So you, you don't need to shoot 45. Now you can stretch it longer a little bit, or you can dive it in sooner and speed up the blades and land at your feet still. Now you can really start playing around and you can understand different air speeds and stuff and wind and what's going on. So one of the things that, that I struggle with, and I think it's probably pretty common, is that you get in this trap of like your local field, the wind generally runs in one direction and you sort of learn to auto say right to left. And then you get proficient or at least safe at that. And then suddenly the wind's going the other way. And are there any tricks to sort of apply what you've learned in one direction to others or is it just like a brute force repetition thing you've just got to keep doing it until you get used to it just do it i mean assuming that you're comfortable nose in towards yourself in both directions it shouldn't make a difference um what someone said to me that made the biggest uh impact on me it was actually um monty said it to me he's like fly it yourself try and hit yourself with a helicopter. Don't try and hit yourself with a helicopter, but yeah. try and fly it to your feet. Like you're flying towards yourself. Um, it's so scary. I hated doing it when I was learning, but it helped immensely because I'm focusing so much when I'm doing an auto learning that I don't want to hit myself that I end up putting it like 30, 40 feet away from myself into the field. Yeah. And it just wasn't working. I couldn't get it to my feet. So when he said literally just fly it at yourself, which just, boggles the mind um it worked amazing you, you don't hit yourself obviously you can pull out and when you do the little mini flare you get away from yourself kind of thing you never get that close but once i started doing that my accuracy improved like immediately it was amazing yeah i was given the same advice and and it is really counter like it feels horrible at first but it works because the, the truth is is that once you get to lower altitudes you know your brain just kind of takes over and guides the helicopter safely to land you know 10 20 feet out whatever in front of you just like it would if it was under power but it's that pointing it at you when it's 100 plus feet in the air that gets it in the neighborhood versus miles out you know you never want to have to like like oh i guess i'll do another auto because i landed 100 feet away from myself and i'm embarrassed (laughs) to go walk and get it (laughs) yeah i mean that's the thing too long to walk (laughs) fire it up and bring it back (laughs) yeah that means it's time to do the auto over again (laughs) uh right on yeah, the, the thing I'm struggling with in autos, and maybe you have something to share here, is I keep wanting to, to at the last minute, so I, I hit my flare, and, and really, the, the G, I'm going to blame the Geotex runway uh, at, at my main flying field. This is really fun to like do an audio, auto over the runway, you do your flare, and then as you're settling down, I, I rotate tail in and kind of let it slide backwards towards me on the Geotex, yeah. um, which, which is kind of fun. But it's a bad habit because now I, keep, I struggle to do, if I'm doing an auto right to left, I struggle to land with the nose in the direction of the auto. I keep, you know, rocking the yeah. tail around. You um, want to turn it around and slide backwards. Yeah. 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 Well, you got to try to practice that without dropping the tail in, you know, too far. Yeah. I got to break that habit because I keep doing it. So I'm sure that's just a matter of me 
again, it's, it's just another brute force thing. And, and I also have been practicing actually landing under power in that same orientation. So nose left, nose right, um, just to get used to kind of settling uh, the burden. I know for me, like getting used to coming, you guys were talking about fly it at yourself, you know, some of the things that I'll do is I'll do like um, flips and stuff where I'll fly the bird at myself and then flip up and away and then do a piro and then come down tail in and flip up out of the way just to get myself used to the bird coming at myself under control. And then, you know, you figure if you auto it, then kind of like Scott was saying, it would just be the same stick movements just without motor power at that point. Yeah. So, Devin, what about you, man? You've been quiet. Yeah, I was going to say, we need, we need to suck Devin into this conversation. Here. Been listening. Yeah, let me throw a softball at you, and then yeah. I want to hear a little more about your auto experience, and maybe we can talk about some aerobatic autos. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just to back way up, Devin, we'll start you with a softball. Uh, what are some reasons I should learn to auto, other than it's fun and it's really you know a fun way to finish your flight? Like those reasons. Are there any other practical reasons why I should learn to auto? Um, learning how to auto can save you a lot of money. Why is that? In the yeah, long that's run. a good one. <laughs> um, it, it comes down to failures on the helicopter, electronic failures, even a lot of mechanical failures that you have in a helicopter where I've seen it where people can't auto and they just, oh, well, um, I'm done. And they watch the helicopter fall from the sky. It's like yeah. you, didn't, you, you could have saved that just if you just autoed it or at least tried, you know, instead of just watching there and letting it happen. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, you get used to leveling the disc and, and at least getting to neutral pitch and letting it sort of glide in rather than pile in. I think, I think the biggest one was um, when I was here in New Jersey with James Cadiz when he was here and he came to our fun fly and I was buddy boxing with him and he was just getting to the point of learning how to auto, didn't really want to do him and everything. And the one day he was flying far out I'm like, uh, I can't really hear or even in fact see the heli very well. So let's, let's bring it back a little bit. And as that happened, he did something and stripped out the main gear. Oh, no. Right? And this is like one of those mechanical failures where, where if you just let your instincts kick in after learning how to auto, it, all it will be is a stripped out main gear. It literally is five minutes, pull the main shaft out of the heli, put on a new main gear and you go and flying again instead of rebuilding your whole heli, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. And so I heard it strip out just barely. It was so hard to hear. You could just hear, you could hear the motor kind of start whining and I'm like, that's, that shouldn't be revving that high. All right. I, I'm taking it, auto it. And he, what's wrong? And, and I, I didn't hear anything. I was like, I'm pretty sure something happened. I just auto, let's be safe. And sure as, you know, we walk over and, oh, damn it. There is something wrong. The, you know, the, the main gear stripped. It's just scenarios like that. You know, um, you like if a ball link pops off, you really can't do much about that. Unless it's like the tail ball link, then yes, you click the auto because if you take power away from the main gear, the tail will stop spinning. Yeah, the torque is all gone then. Yeah. So the tail will just sit in the one foot, like it'll weather vane, like an old rate. Yeah, I style. mean, it, it'll probably, it depends like what happened if a servo fail or the balling popped on. It might still spin a little bit, but it ain't going to sit there. Wah, 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 you know, it, it's not going to be sitting there spinning like a bat out of hell. Yeah, yeah. Situations yeah. like that where, the, and like I have said, I've seen where people just give up on the heli and they're like, all right, it's going in. It's like, 
a $3 crash just turned into a $300 crash. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a huge reason. Yeah. Uh, and especially if you fly nitro or gassers, right? Uh, you know, any well, kind of ignition at, engine. Anything like that, yeah. Sometimes or run out of gas or, or exactly. whatever, you know, they can be finicky. So you can save yourself a ton of money just learning how to, you know, bring the helicopter down. It, it like, you don't have to enjoy an auto. Like you don't like a lot of us, me, Scott, and a lot of other people included enjoy doing autos. And it's kind of the final addition to our flight right at the end of the flight. We we're all, you'll see every one of us doing an auto. We always do it. It may not be the auto we're talking about now. Maybe some acrobatic auto that looks really cool, but we are doing an auto in yeah, sense. It's yeah. the, it's the same thing. We're doing an auto. You don't have to like doing it, but it's just part of the game, right? When, and my dad explained it to me like this when I started flying 3D a, year, a couple of years ago, years ago. I, and I started flying Nitro and I had an incident and, where I, and I didn't know how to auto yet. Knowing how to auto when you do all this 3D and all this stuff where things can start going wrong is very necessary because c- there's just stuff that happens. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll be up there doing some tricks, loading up the drivetrain a lot, and maybe yeah. the pinion just starts to slip or, on the motor. Or, or even, anything, you know, know, or even, you know, you do something and you're like, oh, and you scare yourself and you hit the button and you just put it on the ground. Like, yeah, yeah. Anything yeah. like that. It's just, it's good to know. You don't have to enjoy it. But it, in my mind, it's 100% a thing that once you get through the basics of flying around and you get all that under your belt, you should do autos. Just get they're that important in my mind. Yeah. And when you start to hear that really funny sound coming from the helicopter, if you have the confidence to just hit hold and auto it right away, you know, you can often save it before it gets really bad. Because usually when oh, yeah. you start to hear something, it's only going to escalate and get worse. Well, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right on. So uh, speaking of autos at the end of flights by pilots better than me, let's start talking about some more advanced autos. Like what are some examples of you know, aerobatic autos, uh, for example. And then from there, I want to go into kind of um, where you start. Like, what's what's the first aerobatic auto you had for? But anyway, first, let's, let's dial it back and let's just talk yeah. about some aerobatic autos. Okay, so I do something that's called a dismount auto. Is you, can find, you can actually find a video on it. Matt Bodos did it. It's a video that he did from, I think it's Synergy RC on YouTube where he did dismount autos and showing you the different type of dismount autos, how you can enter into them and stuff like that. So if, you, if you're interested, you can look at that to kind of reinforce on top of or, and clarify anything. What so I, what is that? How do you do? What is so that a dismount like? auto isn't, it's a little bit different. You're not really floating the helicopter anymore towards the ground. You're coming down at a very fast rate of speed fast rate of speed and at the end of the auto you flare and you and your move your heli's moving very fast so when you do that flare you get a huge rush of air through the blades and that is where your head speed comes from it goes yep yeah that the overspeed that you hear on almost all the autos that i do or and some of the other people do that that's that that real loud wind up that's us flaring the, the helicopter and getting all that, all that energy, all the energy that we may have lost on the way down, we pick up at the very bottom. So you scoop up all that head speed again for what? Just to do it? Then at the end, you do it like a dismount trick then and land? Yeah, you do a flip, a pyro flip, uh, a loop if you want to. You could do almost whatever you want to do or whatever you want to try. Do it. You, huh. 
It depends, you know, you can, when you get good enough, Adam, you can feel where your head speed is. You can just feel where the head speed goes and how high it got. So, and that's kind of how I judge what I'm going to do for like how much trick I can fit inside. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. it, it is and it just all depends on how aggressive you can be but and and i suppose then at that point um you know collective management's a big deal in in yes. regular flying so then at the auto level say i decide to do that and i wind it up i'm like Wee, and i'm like oh neat i'm gonna do a pipe a pyro flip but i just max the sticks out all the way yeah, and you'll, I, you know, uh, i'm not gonna land I'll, I'll burn it off too fast so You'd have to really be Johnny on the spot with collective management to do any of these dismounts, so, uh, autos, right? Yeah. So the the big the big thing that I that I've explained or you know I've run into is when you're doing those autos, even though you get a lot of head speed, you know you're you're pushing the high two thousands when you flare that helicopter. Well, yeah, at least yeah. I am. Every time I flare, it's in the high two thousands. I've you're talking about on a seven hundred right now. On a right? seven hundred, the highest yeah. I've the highest I've ever gotten it in a dismount auto is I a Synergy seven six six that I used to fly over sped to three thousand RPM. That's how <laughs> fast I got it. <laughs> yep. Uh, I thought the blades were gonna fly off the grips. It was super scary, and I didn't do it again. <laughs> but when you when you get down and you do your overspeed. It's really easy to just mash the sticks, and in about two seconds, you went from having all this head speed to absolutely nothing. Yeah, like 150. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, and unfortunately, it's kind of hard to explain because it's it's really a feel. You could, uh, a feel of the auto. You you yeah. just got to be really soft. If you're the way I try to explain it is when I was explaining it to Val, you can use a lot of one stick. Right. So if you want to, if you want to get it a nice pop and, and then just slowly roll it over, you get, you use a lot of of your collective, but you don't use a lot of your cyclic. You have to just to help control your head speed. Yes. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So if you wanted to get it like a good roll in, you're probably not going to be using a ton of collective, just enough to keep it in that spot. Yes. Yeah. No, no popping it or moving it over or anything like that. Just leave it there and just yeah, let you're it roll just over. trying to limit uh, the amount of pitch you're throwing on that blades yeah and so, so could, pyroing, i suppose with the tail starts to bleed some of that momentum off yes yeah, so of course the, tail, the tail's eating energy right yeah so you gotta be real it's it's a real quick pyro flip and at the end of it you're landing you're you're done yeah. you're you, you, pyro flip on the ground that's what it is so would, would you say that pyro flip is like the uh, the upper level of the dismount autos and maybe just like you know there's obviously lesser if you would say like easier tricks to do yeah there are easier tricks like um, complicated you could do or what i mean a pyro flip is pretty hard because you have to you you have to just know where you need to be on the sticks right yeah it's just like doing an if you can do if you can do a normal pyro flip like a nice a nice smooth low pyro flip you probably will be fine doing it in an auto because you understand it. Yeah. And you understand how over the sky, you're, you're, there's no chance you're doing yeah. a dismount hero. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the really basic ones that I started off doing when I was learning is like rolls and, and flips. When you, when you overspeed it, just do a nice aileron roll and land. And you still, you'll still have head speed left over to make a nice smooth landing as if you were doing a regular auto. So you're going to kind of first getting into your first aerobatic autos. Like, where do you start? Like, what's a good one? 
for people before you, you know, leap into an inverted auto? Like, is a, is a rolling auto a good place to start and just get uh, so a single roll in? Or, what, or where do you start? The way I tend to do it is I, I went straight to inverted. I never did right side up auto uh, and dismount autos. I went straight upside down, boom, in a day I was doing inverted autos. That's how I, I did you. it personally. I had my dad teach me how he was, he, my dad, you never see my dad do him. He's the one that taught me how to do him. He has <laughs> a hard inverted. time doing him. Yeah. So just, uh, just a naked inverted auto. I'm, I'm together. Essentially some of this, what Scott was talking about, kind of where to put that stick just, just below zero near the end. You kind of get up at zero flare just a little bit, maybe. Okay, um, yes. For inverted really, it's just the opposite. You're just yes, slightly above just the, zero at that point. Just the opposite. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Slightly above zero when you're coming when you're coming down or you shouldn't flip when it's low if you're going to do like a traditional auto where you're floating a heli, let's say you, yeah. you go up 400 feet and you're just floating down, flip over the helicopter at like 200 feet and get your head speed back. You, you, you mm, can't sure. you can't finished. do those really low flips unless you're doing a dismount where you have all the head speed that gives you the accessibility yeah. to do it. Yeah. So regular autos, no tricks at the bottom. Just do some stuff, maybe like a roll or I've seen, because yeah. I've seen guys, they'll get way up there. And if you've got the height and you, we talked earlier about uh, what to do if the head speed's getting kind of low and how to recover it. Right. So that yes. can kind of explain why a guy can be really high up there. Start the auto, maybe do a flip or a roll, go back to normal, come down a little bit, do another trick, yeah. maybe turn. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're, they're modulating coming down and re basically refilling the disc with air. Right. Yes. Um, to enter into something else but that's not the same as like for what you guys are talking about when you talk about that other genre of i i'm treating it like as a separate genre of autos yes. these dismount autos because in my mind it seems essentially like a tail slide under power you're coming down that steep now are you talking about the heli well, vertical or is it perpendicular to your descent you know, to collect the head speed so when we're coming down i would say if you take that scott's 45 degree angle marker yeah that's what that's what we're coming we're coming we're screaming down probably with the disc at 45 degrees from the from the ground right yeah so it's a little bit it's really aggressive because what i found it for it and you're not going to get a lot of head speed but you also don't lose a lot of head speed you do lose head speed but you don't lose it's not like oh it's gone and the auto yeah. screwed up but the key um, is it's rapid descent is what's happening here. Yes, the rapid descent, but also if you go if you go any further than that, if you start to get that heli where it's coming straight down, the blades will stop almost instantly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sure. So you you have to give it access to to some air on the way down so it keeps spinning. But we're so limiting it's gotta be it. A, something more than vertical. It's got to be angular at some, at some point. It's, yeah. It has to be at an angle. You have to keep those blades spinning. If it comes, if you're coming straight down, the blades will stop very fast, and it'll actually surprise you yeah. how fast that right. happens. So I I tend to come down at like a forty five, maybe a little more, because I'm super comfortable with it. I just know where the feel is, what I can get away with, and. You're probably at four or five degrees positive pitch when you're coming down, right? And when yeah. you flare, don't touch the pitch. Don't touch it. Don't add pitch because you'll actually lose head speed if you add pitch flaring. All okay. I do, all I do is I get down to about five feet off the ground. I flare and you're introducing the heli's moving so fast and you're introducing so much air into the equation 
that with the massive head speed increase you get, you also get a balloon factor, which is why you don't really need to mess with the with the pitch at all. Yeah, just hold that steady kind yes. of deal. If it maybe after you do it where you and your the heli gets all that air over speeds and slow down, maybe you need to modulate it just a little bit, but you shouldn't have to do a drastic touch to that pitch at all. Yeah, if anything, if that balloon is too much, just pull peel some off of there just a little yeah. bit or something if you need yes. to. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. And obviously, this part of the dialogue we're talking about is m- quite a bit farther ahead of we've already at this point would have had to have got comfortable with a regular auto coming down, how to modulate things and stuff before ever yes. trying to do tricks, right? But it's really cool to talk about the how to break down the way those tricks work, you know? Yes. The auto trick autos. Trick autos, the tricksters. Yeah. You know, we talked about some dismount autos. About something like a more basic aerobatic auto, like just trying to accomplish a single roll on the way okay, down. So if you like, want to. What's, what's the best one to start with? I know you jump right into inverted. But that's because what I do is I know explain, I can explain that one the best, but I can do if anyone has seen, and this is a name, Raja. Anybody has watched Raja? That's about the smoothest kind of acrobatic autos you really can do, but you also really need to understand your helicopter when you do those. So you need to have a, you need to be capable of doing autos because you're still doing the 45 technique that Scott was talking about, but now you're introducing flip and rolls and you need to be able to control your head speed as you're doing that because you don't have very much. Yeah. So in my mind, and I'm just going to say what I think, and I want you to tell me where I'm wrong or if I'm right or not, I don't know. But like, so say I'm coming down and I'm just doing a normal auto that, you know, like we've been talking about, right? Doing a normal auto and I decide, okay, I want to do a full roll and just go back into my auto. In my mind, I feel like my best effort would be to be coming down, put my, leave my pitch maybe where it was, start rolling. Do I need to go to zero pitch anywhere in there? Because when I'm upside down now, I'm on the other side of my gimbal. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my best thing is to kind of split up the roll. Instead yeah. of just sitting there and doing a full roll, do a half roll and then okay. and now you're inverted and give it some positive pitch and let it and gain some let, of that head speed back and then do the yeah. other half of the roll. Yeah, you get kind of settled into that inverted auto for some amount of feet and then just finish it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I feel like this is this is the one I want to start with. Because I feel like if I start this high enough, even if it starts to go south, I can roll back upright at a high enough altitude where I really have plenty of time to rebuild the head speed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, and Raja is the name I keep bringing up because that's the most common person you see. Well, used to see when he was going to a lot of events. I haven't seen him quite recently, but I heard he's been out. He is one of those, on top of Nick Maxwell, another one that loves doing those traditional acrobatic autos, just flipping it on the way down, nice and smooth, pyro flips, every rolls, everything. He does yeah, it yeah. in that traditional, but it again, it's modulating your head speed is very important when you're doing that type of auto. Yeah. yeah, I could see. So what you're saying is essentially, if I was to try to do that whole roll, I might burn off too much head speed. So at the start, it's good to just break them in half. Yeah, kind of deal. Yeah, get the feel for it, and then once you understand the what the how the hell he's going to respond to it. Sure, go ahead and right. try it. What's what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to lose some head speed and then you're going to have to build it back up again. But definitely right. for at first, I would split it up into halves. 
just till you get sure. a, an understanding of of how the hell he's going to react a time maybe a little bit of a timing factor for when you want to start throwing in the pitch when you go inverted to keep yeah. that head speed where you want it stuff like that yeah i suppose the more you the better you get at it as you come do that first half of the roll you'll discover that once you get inverted you're you're starting to have more head speed than when you first started learning this maneuver or or you so start losing you a lot move. less yes yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, you, you're losing a lot less head speed. So eventually you can move those halves of your roll closer and closer together as yes. you get better. Yeah, and the timing, stick timing gets better and stuff like that. So really, it sounds like, you know, if you get good at a good upright auto that you can land, a good inverted auto where you got your, you know, that whole top half of your autos inverted, flip over and then land. Once you know you can do both of those really well, uh, Nick, it seems like it would be pretty easy just to be like, okay, I'm up. I'm inverted. I'm up. I'm inverted. And just oh. time them until it becomes a roll. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And they are really pretty to watch. Like a, a good rolling auto where they're rolling, you know, five, six times or whatever is, is really kind of fun. And then you watch yeah, totally. how low they decide to take that last roll for. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, exactly. settle it in. Yeah. You catch Maxwell or somebody doing those. That last roll is low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that yeah. blade speed, the, it, even though they're doing it perfect. You can still watch the blade speed gets lower every roll. It's not like a drastic like, oh no, there's no blade speed. But you definitely, by the time they're doing the six one, it's getting pretty close to being able to count the blades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just to go back to some more fundamental things here for a minute, what about electric versus nitro considerations? Like doing autos with nitros, what what changes? I I, <clears throat> I can talk a little bit about that. It's <laughs> alive. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to, Dan. Well, I can tell you the, the main difference is a nitro is going to force you to learn how to auto probably a lot quicker than an electric is going to force you to learn how to auto. I, I don't know about ease of autoing one versus the other, but um, the one thing, first auto I ever did was a forced auto. Flame out. Lots of crazy things happen with a nitro, right? Uh, yeah. Forget to put your, you know, you forget to plug everything back in when you're when you go to take off and you flip inverted and you, you know, you get about 20 feet out and all of a sudden you have a flame out because you have no pressure in your tank, right? That kind Oof. of thing happens. You're right. <clears throat> you kind of have to know how to do it. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and I, you know, this is not necessarily to the next question, but, you know, Devin can, can expound on that. But the one thing that I, I will tell you just to kind of chime in a little bit is uh, autos, you know, what saved me from a rekit without ever practicing autos in real life was practicing autos on a sim. And that wasn't that I was trying to perfect the technique. I wasn't trying to, you know, do fancy anything. I just wanted to kind of have something to fall back on from a muscle memory standpoint, should something happen. And it was untested. You know, I was about 300 feet in the air and for whatever reason I had a flame out, uh, on a 600 and, um, I just, I did, it, just, it was really strange. I was like, I didn't panic. I was like, I, okay. I, I mean, I know what to do here. Now it's time. Theoretically, right? <laughs> and it wasn't pretty. And it landed probably on the other side of the fence. <laughs> that wasn't the point. The point was an auto served its purpose. And that was to keep me from doing a rekit or some, you know, extensive repair. Yeah, yeah. However, when I did get that auto out that first one out of my system and it was forced upon me i was like that's a pretty freaking neat trick 
right? <laughs> like that. So it got to the point where I remember talking to Nick Lynn about it. In fact, I called him and I'm sure there's an episode of me talking about it. Like I immediately called him and said, you won't believe what I fucking do. You know, I was just super excited. I was like, holy shit, I just pulled off an auto. Well, then it started becoming routine. Every flight ended with an auto. Nothing, nothing fancy. And the biggest obstacle, Nick, you mentioned <laughs> was how do you do an auto and not have it land 200 feet out in the field? That was one of my first obstacles. I mean, I was getting to the point where I could land them very nice, very smooth, control them all the way down, feel comfortable to speed them up on the way down when I wanted. I was getting comfortable with it. Uh, but my next trick was to try to get it so I didn't have to walk a thousand uh, you know, feet to, to go get it. Well, I was talking and, and you kind of, somebody kind of, I think Scott mentioned something about fly the model towards yourself. Well, that's, as you guys mentioned, that's, that's pretty, that feels counterintuitive. And I was working on autos with Nick Lynn and he just, you know, we were doing them from um, uh, right to left. And he just, he said, just take that helicopter up and just, it, it's going to just make it feel like it's right on your right shoulder up in the air. Like, and he said, you'll be surprised how far away it actually is. But it got me to the point where I could bring them in and now I'm landing them, you know, 20 feet, 15 feet, controlling them, uh, feeling good about them. But I can tell you the one thing about autos, at least from my perspective, is once you get, start doing them, continue to do them, don't stop. Because now I'm, you know, leaving the hobby for a number of years. Now I'm to the point where, holy shit, I, I haven't even pulled the switch. Like I haven't even, and yeah. I used to do them all the time and it's like, um, out of practice, you know, well, guess what? Now we're back to square one, uh, and every step of the way. But as far as the specifics, I, I really couldn't tell you, I think maybe a little more weight, a little more, you know, the center of gravity on the nitros might be a little bit different. Maybe a little, I, I, as I remember, autos on the nitro seemed easier to me, but that's where I started, right? I, uh, I was able to do autos on electrics, but I wasn't doing them as often as I was doing them on the, on the nitro. So, Devin, if you have a little more insight <laughs> as to the differences, that'd be great. I think it comes, it's really a, a personal thing on how you feel about it, really. on what It depends on what heli it is, too, because every heli auto is different. I feel like if it's too light, it's going to be tougher to keep that head speed because the downward momentum will kind of bleed off a little faster, or it's harder to gain. Well, it. That, you would be surprised. You would be surprised by that. But one of the lightest helis out there actually autos the best. Oh shit! Well, and there goes now, my and, and that would be the logo. A logo is a really light heli, and it actually is one of the best autoing helis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny, my Puma autos way better than I thought it would, and that's a six S seven hundred. So I don't so, know if lightness so really is, light really light 700. Yeah. So yeah. maybe that's not the thing anymore. I don't know. I, um, I, I, unless it's high wind and then it does not. auto. I mean, we, we tend well. to, we tend to, um, when you talk about autos, helis with a little bit of, with a little bit of weight, you always tend to be like, oh, they, they feel better when they auto. And that might be true, but also it really just comes down to like, what heli has the smoothest drivetrain? How smooth is the drivetrain on your heli? Like, yeah, I don't, I suppose, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever like went up and looked at a miniature aircraft drivetrain. And I'm, I'm just saying this because miniature aircraft drivetrain, if you put it in the wind, it will spin. And, they, yeah, and, and that reflects in the auto as well. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And, and belt tension has a lot to do with it too. You know, if you're, 
like me and you're more of a soft, smooth 3D, you know, sport, uh, lower head speed pilot, I run a much looser belt tension, but it also creates less drag on the drivetrain and I yeah. get more hang time in my autos because that's more important to me than I'm not doing a bunch of hard smack high RPM with reversals and stuff where, you know, higher tension is, is more important. Yeah, like I run my t- the belt tension in my tail pretty tight. It's pretty tight. It's, it's, you can almost play a note on it. It's really tight. Um, and that also does reflect in the auto. Yeah, there's more drag there on yours. Yeah, it, yeah. It do, not to say that it doesn't auto good, but you can feel it. It still autos pretty good, but you, you, you definitely can feel that if I were to grab one of my dad's helis versus my helis, his belt tension's looser than mine. You can feel yeah. the difference. It's totally. there. Yeah. Nitro versus electric, it's... It's just a different feel, really. Is yeah. So there's no. I mean, what I was really getting at there was, you know, if I'm about to start learning autos, is there anything that's really different? But it doesn't sound like there is. Like fundamentally, fundamentally, it would be the same. It's just just like what Dan said. Nitro is probably just going to be the the more common. That's going to be the heli that is probably going to make you have to auto. And where versus, it's it's not very common for an electric to make you need to auto. Here's another question I dovetail on that. If you're like a new person and you have a helicopter and you're like, hey, I think I want to learn how to do autos. What would be your like your recommendation for the, um, I don't know, like a, maybe the smallest heli that is reliably effective to learn how to auto on? We're talking like 600, 500? Um, yeah, I learned... <laughs> So it kind of depends on the heli as well. Like I learned on how to auto on a Logo 550 SE, which is actually a 600. But again, it has the it has a Logo drivetrain. It's super smooth. It was belted, but it was still super smooth and autoed amazing. I think if you're learning how to auto, I would definitely be 600 or above. Even probably I would stick more towards the 700 because it, it, it it'll be easier. Yeah, you, you got more blade. I'm with you, but I learned auto on my XL Power 550, the original first version, uh, not the Nimbus. And man, that thing autoed almost as good as a 700. I don't know what it was about that helicopter. But I've, I've never, I've never flown very one of forgiving. those. I haven't flown one of those. Um, I, it's just that in my experience, usually 600 and bigger is the same, like pick it up and go auto with it, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But don't be afraid at 550, you know, yeah, maybe with yeah. someone experience who gives us a try and see how much drag you've got in your drivetrain and whatnot. But, yeah. you know, 550 scan auto really well. And you may see some videos online of, look, I, auto- I autoed my Logo 200 or whatever. That, that doesn't mean you should start learning them with that. That's someone yeah, learn with on that. huge skill kind of, it's not even really an auto at that point. But that's another conversation. Um, yeah. 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 And they're pretty much hurling them at the ground at high head speed and tons of negative pitch to make it work. I've done it. I've done inverted autos with my Oxy 4 Max. I believe it. It is that takes mad skill. At that size heli, it is purely drive the heli to the ground as fast as you can. Yeah. So And then, yeah, it's but that's a completely different scenario. So, yeah, definitely start 515 above. 600 above is ideal. 700 will get you a lot more hang time uh, for sure. Uh, so while learning, actually, what are some spare parts we should think about stocking up on that are commonly broken in, in crashes while learning autos? Now, I'm uh, not saying you're going to crash, but there's a lot of case. minor crashes in autos where like you don't have a lot of head speed, 
You haven't done anything horribly wrong. You didn't blade stop at 100 feet in the air, but kind of just came down with a little too much energy and the helicopter finally said like, eh, that's a little much for me. Yeah. Okay. So, and here's what I would say. Maybe a set of blades or a set of some set of blades, because even though it's doesn't have a lot of blade speed, if you end up doing a blade stop and it smacks the ground, you're probably going to break a set of blades. Depending on how the auto happens, as Scott said, if you got a lot of pitch in the blades and they fold back, tail boom. It'll take out a tail boom. Yep. Uh, so definitely a tail boom. Maybe a set of maybe some tail blades as well, depending on h- how it happens. Again, on on how it happens, you might need a set of tail blades. You might not. Um, skids definitely keep loads of skids around because that will yep. happen. You will break skids, especially learning how to do an auto. It'll happen where you crack a skid. And I would say some ball links and um, the actual arms as well, because if you tip the heli over in an auto, sometimes they snap and they fly about 5,000 miles away and you never find them. (laughs) That's very true. Um, Yeah, for me, for me, the things I've found that I've been replacing as I'm learning is skids for sure. Been through a lot of those Uh, tail fin occasionally Uh, tail blades. If I, drop the tail in the grass. Uh, you know, it's definitely best to practice autos over a softer surface at first, assuming it's fairly level. But, you know, some fields with grass, the ground's not terribly level, and sometimes you really kind of stick the tail in the grass, and you can hear the tail blades just whacking away at the dirt as you slow down. So, uh, tail blades, tail fin, uh, skids were the big ones for me. Yeah, and it, it, again, it depends on the extent. If it's just a basic, like, plop, break skids, it will be nothing. But if it's a like a major, like, oh no, it's falling out of the sky from 50 feet and there's nothing you can do about it. it yeah. It, you're going you're gonna to start looking into, ar- like, depending on what heli it is, grip arms, maybe possibly some grips, some spindles. Yeah. It really Nails, just, yeah. it really disp- depends on this, on how it happens. So, one of the things Dan touched on briefly just now was the sim. Is the sim a useful tool to learn auto rotations or is it just a good place to start? Is, can you actually practice meaningfully? I, I truly think it depends which sim it is because there are sims, na- especially nowadays, that the physics is very good, very accurate, and you can do very accurate autos. And then there are some other sims where the, fi- the physics isn't there and I would not learn how to do autos on that. Maybe, maybe you could... I wouldn't say learn how, not that far of not learning how to do autos. Maybe you could get the basics of where your thumbs need to be, what the heli should look like. But when it comes down to actually the blade control and everything like that and the physics of the helicopter, I wouldn't really trust that. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you got like a current model, say I'm one of these late model ones that folks have out nowadays, the physics are all really good. If it's an older, older sim, maybe not as much. I know like I fly Phoenix... And one of the things that I noticed in that one is that consistently across all the helis, the physics seems to be just a little more floaty than real life, right? So it's almost kind of like Scott was saying earlier, where you'd have the the uh, pseudo hold on where it doesn't actually turn it off all the way. It, you know, so on that level, like you're saying, uh, Devin, I agree, you know, like I'm in there practicing autos, but in my mind, I, I make my make sure that I'm consciously aware that in real life, this is the descent is going to be different, but the fundamentals are going to be kind of the same. Learning how to stay below zero, you know, but not too far below it, to, you know, and how to modulate your descent. Some of these fundamentals we talked about, you can practice in the sim, but 
that's not a one for one, I don't think, but I think it's you totally useful. Um, you know? Yeah. I, I think I'll add too. one of the things the sim helped me with, and I'm kind of a, a creature of habit this way. I like to build muscle memory. And I think the practice of just getting used to, you know, turning the helicopter around, setting it up with forward and downward momentum before you hit hold, getting the feeling of the switch positions of hitting hold, you know, practice hitting bailout in the sim. I know that sounds lame, but like if an auto starts to go south in the sim and you can get a sense of it, and that's really hard without necessarily hearing the blades as well, but practice hitting bailout, like kind of try and put yourself through those scenarios, practice landing and doing your autos in different directions, right? So you're landing with the nose to the left or the nose to the right. You know, you can reduce your nervousness a lot um, by using the sim here. I haven't used it a lot for autos, but just kind of doing it initially. So uh, thanks, Devin, for kind of letting us pick your brain for a minute. I'm going to come back to Scott for a minute here. And I'm doing that because Scott is, is the master of the auto rotation contest at Funflies. That man can put the nose of his helicopter on any cone. It's, it's uncanny how accurate he is and, and repeatable. So let, let's talk a little bit here, Scott, about uh, auto contest strategies. How are you so damn good at this? I don't want to say I'm the master. I've been beaten by Kyle Stacy. And I've been beaten by uh, Robert Monty once. <laughs> I did see Robert beat you. I forgot no, about that. I was so proud of him for that. Like, that's so cool. Like, he was a person that gave me the advice to fly towards myself in autos. And then he handed me my ass in an auto contest. I was like, damn, awesome. I got to start trying again. Like, really try. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, it, honestly, it's it's not watching the helicopter. It's using your peripheral vision. So, like, I'm kind of looking at the heli, but also looking at the cone. And I'm trying to draw that imaginary 45 degree line to the cone the entire way. And that's the easiest way to be like super accurate with it. So if you just do a normal 45 calm auto towards it, shoot that 45 right at the cone. And as soon as you come in, flare at like three feet. And then you have about two or three seconds to figure out where you want to put it. And the best thing is just don't panic, get it close to where you want it, settle it in with as smooth of a movement as you can and just go with what you got. Don't try and like, jam the collective and stretch it and make it go that way and scoot it around. Um, and the very last thing to watch too is point the nose towards it. I've noticed when, whenever people do these auto contests, they'll, they'll bring it in, they'll land it, but the nose is pointing away from the cone. It probably would have almost been touching it if they just twisted the tail right at the end to the cone. So that'll yeah. give you an extra like five or six inches off the, the distance right there alone. No, that makes sense. So one of the things that, I wanted to also ask you, and, and I asked Devin a minute ago, as you heard, but I want to hit you with it as well. So aerobatic autos, what would you suggest is the progression for starting with your first one, right? So you've, you're, you've mastered, you know, your basic auto rotation. You want to get into some aerobatic autos. Where do you start? So a nice, relatively safe one is to come in uh, in your glide approach and then roll it over and match the same collective into the positive range. And then roll it over again and go back to negative. And as long as you've learned the skill to build back head speed, um, even if you kind of goof it, you'll, you can still roll it over and get the head speed back just in time. As long as you do it pretty high off the ground. Those are safe to play with, gets you used to kind of doing maneuvers and whatever in the air while you're doing an auto. Then the very next thing I'd work on is overspeed autos. Because mostly everything else you do that's like a dismount auto or an aerobatic auto, it usually uses an overspeed or some sort of uh, entrance into it like that like to do a looping auto you got to initiate this loop a big old loop and you come screaming down towards the ground as fast as you can on the back side of the loop hit hold on the down 
approach and then overspeed it in, pop in the bottom, and then basically feather the energy out of the head all the way around the circle. And then the back half of the circle is like trying everything you got to speed up the blades again and catch it before you have to come in and do like a slider. Right on. That's cool. I, I will say if you're ever to fun fly with Scott or Devin or any of these guys, like ask them to put on an auto show. One of the most enjoyable times at my first fun fly, I didn't know who Scott was or anything, but just you put on a clinic. It was a dragonfly and you must have done, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 autos in a flight and everyone was different from the one before. And it just, it blew my mind. It totally opened me up to the possibilities in auto rotations. And uh, you seem to enjoy it. So if you see these guys, ask them to do it. Um, yeah, they're super fun to do and, and challenging too. Like, I love when someone comes up and goes, can you do this in an auto? Like, it usually starts like, can you TikTok an auto all the way down? It's like, well, I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> it's going to end one of two ways. Yes, or maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I've also seen a ton of pros or team pilots teach auto rotations at phone flies. So don't be afraid to grab one of those, those guys and say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. You know, there was a time you, you, you led a group at Dragonfly again the second time and uh, Jamie Burkholder and I were listening and I was like, that's when I got the bit about the flare and I realized I was adding pitch at all the wrong time. So take advantage of those opportunities. But what are some resources uh, you can also learn a little bit more about auto rotations? Um, crashing. 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 Yep. Uh, for, for me, because I'm, I'm kind of a visual thinker, I will say one of the, one of the best uh, examples and it still holds true today is... Uh, if you go to YouTube, look up Smack Talk RC. Uh, it's a video series that uh, Bobby Watts and uh, Bert Cameron put together, and they have a fantastic episode on auto rotations that really kind of helps you visually see these elements. Uh, I know Devin was talking about the Synergy RC channel that Matt Bodos uh, did one on Dismount RCs. Is there anything else or places for people to go to learn about them? Um, I mean, it sounds dumb. I read a lot about it because when I was a kid, it was uh, RaptorTechnique.com. <laughs> I think I was on there. <laughs> But honestly, it was just doing it in the sim a bunch of times. I know we talked about sims. Uh, they help. They're not totally realistic, but they get the basics. They get the approach angle. Um, and just do it till you can't crash it in the sim. If you can auto everything in real flight, you're probably going to be okay in real life for the most part. And there'll be some slight differences, but I think that's the best way to learn. Just do it. I don't know. Well, I think we should pretty much, it's getting kind of late here. We should start to wrap things up. Does anyone have any last minute thoughts on autos they want to share before we uh, wrap things up? Yeah, don't do it with the tiny ones. <laughs> the next yeah. video is going to be the Oxy 2. Let's go. All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap things up. This was a great conversation. I think we could probably talk about autos for days. I know I still have a, a lot more thoughts on, on progressing, or not thoughts, like questioning thoughts about progressing into aerobatic autos and, and, and starting to figure that out. But I guess I really need to get the thing to land on my feet before I get there. I don't um, know. Maybe, maybe at one of the events, me and Scott can sneak off and do something maybe for fa for Facebook live or something going through some of the techniques where everyone can see it instead of just us talking about it as well. Yeah. The techniques are great. And also just seeing what's possible is awesome. Yeah. Um, but yes, if you can get to a fun fly and you haven't been, definitely go and, and watch how these guys are, are ending their flights. Cause it, it's pretty awesome. It's eye opening. All right. With that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, so Scott and Devin and the rest of y'all, we'll start with Scott, though. Uh, if uh, people have questions about auto rotations and want to get a hold of you, how would they uh, go ahead and do that? You can shoot me an email at rchnv3. Oh, sorry. Scott at rchnv3.com. Or find me on Facebook, 
Uh, just simply look up Scott Graham or on Instagram, RC Heli Graham. All right. What about you, Devin? Uh, uh, you can hit me up on Facebook, Devin McClellan, or you can hit me up at Devin at RCHNV3.com. And uh, Dan, assuming uh, you make it to next week, uh, how can folks get a hold of you? <clears throat> yeah, Dan at RCHNV3. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot there. Oh, uh, I sh- yeah. See you next week. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Uh, and if you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at Nick Wisdom at RCHNV3.com or on Facebook at Nick Wisdom RC. Uh, I just want to take a moment to say thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate all of your uh, assistance on locals and for uh, all the awesome interaction, uh, the emails, the the, uh, the support has been awesome. So appreciate you. The corrections are great too. Uh, much obliged. Uh, with that, Rob, why don't you take us out with uh, how folks can get a hold of you? Nickel ass. The, okay, so if you want to get a hold of me, you got to break out one of those Sharpies that you've been using from previous episodes. Um, you might need to get a plane or bus ticket and bring one of your helis, probably the, one of your crappiest ones. Um, and so what you want to do is you want to take a bus or plane to uh, where Devin lives. And while you're on your way, just write your question on one of your blades and then write your PO box or your address on the other blade, right? And then when you get to his house, just practice your first auto rotation in his front yard because um, you're excited to try it now that we taught you how. Um, and then when you crash it in his yard, just run away really quickly before anybody notices you. Um, Devin's dad will come outside and see the helicopter on the ground and have an insatiable urge to make tune it up for you. Um, so, But while he's doing that, he'll see all these words on the blades. And um, so Devin will end up getting your question and he'll tell me what it is. You might even end up with a fresh helicopter out of the deal. Um, but if you don't have enough money to travel um, or you're afraid to get, um, you know, like a, a, a trespassing or any of that kind of stuff, or you don't want, you just don't want to lose your helicopter, um, you could just email me at rob at rchnv3.com. Um, you could hit me up on Facebook at, um, at nextgenrcfb, uh, Instagram, nextgenrc or youtube.com slash, uh, slash nextgenrc. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. With that, this was episode 17. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Peace out. See ya. I love you, Dan. <laughs> Going to fly my helicopter. <laughs> 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 Are you guys done? Yeah, I think so. <laughs>